Welcome in, everybody. Episode 48 of Force War, the podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufre with you. It's been two weeks since we've been on with you. We didn't get a chance to record an episode last week. Rob and I had conflicting schedules with work. It was a little hectic last week, and there wasn't a ton of stuff going on, so we figured, hey, we'll push it back a week, and uh, we can catch up on everything tonight. So uh, thank you for everyone's patience waiting for us to come back on the air, but we have a lot of stuff to get to tonight as we normally do when we record. It is Tuesday night, February 23rd. Episode will be released Wednesday the 24th. Um, We have some Knicks we want to get into, and we realize that you know the Knicks have been playing pretty good basketball for a good portion of the season now. And with the NFL playoffs and a lot of off season moves going on with baseball, we haven't spent a ton of time on the Knicks. So we're going to get into the Knicks. Uh, We'll obviously touch on the Rangers as well as a really, really um, interesting storyline surrounding the Rangers with uh, their star Artemi Panarin. We'll touch on that. And we're going to preview the MLB season players, uh, pitchers and catchers reported a week ago. Players are reporting to camp. Now spring training is, is pretty much underway. So we'll give a little MLB season preview along the way that you guys have been waiting on too. But we'll start with the Knicks. And this is a discussion, you know, a lot of times Rob and I text throughout the week and we talk about certain things and we kind of know where we fall on certain issues before we get on the air. And we kind of expand upon it when we do get on the air. But this is something that I haven't talked to Rob about. And it's something that has kind of crossed my mind over the past few days in particular. And I think it's a really interesting discussion. So, you know, we've touched on the Knicks before and how, The expectations were not high this season. You were hoping to see progress from a lot of their players. They finally got a bona fide head coach in Tom Thibodeau, who's a winning head coach. And you're seeing the progress from these players. And, you know, for the first time in a long time, the Knicks are taking the floor on a nightly basis. And you have a pretty good feeling that they could they could play winning basketball anytime they take the floor. Uh, And that's something that Knicks fans have not been able to enjoy for quite some time. So it got me thinking. You know, last year they signed Julius Randle in free agency. And a lot of people were not thrilled with it, right? Because everyone expected the Knicks to be in on Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. They miss out on them. And Julius Randle was kind of just, you know, scraping at the bottom of the barrel trying to get some free agent. Well, you fast forward a year and the all-star reserves for both the Eastern and Western Conference were announced tonight. And Julius Randle is an all-star and he is putting together a career season. 23 points a game, 11 rebounds, five and a half assists, well-deserving of an all-star appearance. You're seeing their second first-round pick this year, Emmanuel Quickly, really blossom into a perimeter scorer for this Knicks team. For a team that has so much, you know, so many struggles scoring the basketball, Quickly has really been a breath of fresh air and looks like that piece that you can sort of build around. R.J. Barrett has taken some steps forward in year two. Yeah, he's very inconsistent. There's games where he'll shoot 70% from the floor. He'll put up 30 points. And then the next night, he'll shoot three of 16, and he'll have all sorts of struggles. So a little bit of inconsistency from R.J. Barrett, but the pure talent alone is there. And it kind of got me thinking, have the Knicks started to reach the point in which they're becoming a little bit of a destination now? Now, I've heard a lot of talks recently about pulling off a trade and bringing in a superstar, that name, Zach Levine. Let's dispel that right now. Zach Levine is not a superstar. You trade for Zach Levine, and it doesn't change where the Knicks are as a franchise right now. What do they win, Two or one or two more games? I mean, you look at the Chicago Bulls right now who are in a similar spot as the Knicks. They have Zach Levine, and they're terrible. So I don't really think that that helps the Knicks out too much. But as you move forward with free agency – 
And when you move forward in today's NBA, where star players seem to be disgruntled every other day and they're looking for a way out, I think the Knicks become a destination for maybe pulling off a trade for one of these guys. Julius Randle really seems like a player who's a budding star. Emmanuel quickly has given you so much promise, promise that no rookies have really given the Knicks over the past five to six years. And R.J. Barrett obviously comes with that pedigree of being a top three pick in the draft. So with these three pieces, I think Knicks fans are excited about what they've seen. And I think that you're, you're finally seeing the tide being turned, Rob, where the Knicks are, have finally gotten out of their own way. And there's something to look forward to in the future with some potential moves to be made. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. You know, they're finally doing it the right way, Andrew. And going back to Julius Randle, give him credit because he pretty much admitted he really wasn't in shape last season. You know, he got himself in shape. He decided he was going to become more of a leader. And man, oh, man, he's having a terrific year. And now all of a sudden, he looks like an untouchable for the Knicks where in the beginning of the year, when he got up to that hot start, everybody said, oh, this is going to be great trade bait for the Knicks. So Right. And I said that myself. I said Julius Randle would probably end up being this year's Marcus Morris, someone who's coveted at the deadline that you can maybe flip for a first-round pick. Now you fast forward to now, he looks like the premier building block on this team. Yeah, no, he, he certainly does. And right now the Knicks stand at 15 and 16. They're seventh seeded right now in the Eastern Conference, which is a playoff spot. And right now, listen, for the Knicks to make the playoffs, I mean, look, I think they're over and under was what, 20 or 23 for the season, you know, as far as win total. So, you know, they're certainly exceeding all expectations. But we touched on this in the beginning of the NBA season, Andrew, when we said that Thibodeau was going to make a big difference. They finally got themselves a professional coach here to coach this team. And you could see it's reaping the rewards. These guys are playing solid defense night in and night out. Yeah, they still have some struggles because here's the bottom line. They don't really have anybody consistently that can knock down a three. And that's the problem. You know, R.J. Barrett has been inconsistent in in that respect. You know, quickly still a young player. Derek Rose was brought in, but he's more of a, uh, you know, at this point he's a facilitator. He's not, uh, you know, uh, a dead-on three-point shooter. He's he's a good shooter, but uh, they brought him in for veteran leadership. It's the third time he's been with Thibodeau now on three different teams with the Wolves and, and, the, and, and the Bulls and now the Knicks. So he has a history with Thibodeau. And um, I think Thibodeau had a comfort level. You'll probably see Alfred Payton, who's having the best, probably the best season of his career as well, probably get moved around the trading deadline himself, Alfred Payton, because he is playing very well. And they might probably just, you know, use Derek Rose and Emmanuel quickly at the point guard spot. Um, so look, I tell you, the, the wonderful thing now is, you know, the Knicks have a couple of unprotected lottery picks from the Dallas Mavericks. So, you know, they, they're in good shape as far as the, you know, draft picks right now, the Knicks, because they have four of them coming up in the next two years. You know, two of them being in the lottery and two of them, you know, one of their, their own next year and, an, and a protected pick next year from the Mavericks. And you certainly, you're starting to see whispers now. I read today on Bleach Report that the Mavericks are looking, you know, looking to deal maybe Christoph Porzingis. So how good did that trade look for the Knicks there? I mean, all of a sudden now it looked pretty damn good, that trade. So um, I had liked that trade when they made it because I never thought that Pozingas was going to amount to what his talent was. He's injury prone. He's, he's you know, he, he's a good shooter. But, you know, when you have those spindly type of legs, you know, a big man like that, they don't last long in this league. And you see some things going on now in Minnesota where it's possible Carl Anthony Towns might be available at some point. Now, look, Minnesota just fired their coach. They fired their, you know, flipped the late flips on the son, Ryan Saunders. 
team got off to a terrible start. They brought in Carl Anthony Towns, best friend, D'Angelo Russell, who was now out for about four to six weeks. He had an injury. They brought him in to try and maybe appease Carl Anthony Towns. Now, you know, the one problem that you could bring up is that Thibodeau was a coach there and him and Towns evidently really didn't get along all that well. But then again, Towns was an all-star for two years that Thibodeau was there. So, you know, you never know. Uh, you know, maybe the Knicks, the Knicks have enough Listen, they have enough young talent and, and they have enough draft capital that maybe a Carl Anthony Towns deal isn't so out of the question. And let me tell you something, bringing in a talent like that, man, that'll propel you. Yeah, and listen, I know that Knicks fans are enamored with a guy like Mitchell Robinson. And, and I certainly get yeah, where it comes from because player, yeah. he, he's, a, he's a good piece. And for a team that didn't have any pieces on it, he kind of became sort of a fan favorite because he was dynamic, right? He would catch alley-oops. He would block some shots. He can't score. Carl Anthony Towns is a guy who is going to consistently give you 23 points a night on top of 12 rebounds. Right. He could facilitate on the point. He could shoot a little bit from the outside. He could, He's yeah, a shot he could blocker. Knock down He's three. a rim protector. He could he do could it all. He could knock down a three. He, he could play off all. the basket. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to play in the paint. Mitchell Robinson is your prototypical center. That would have been terrific 20 years ago. Right. Now this is a game of shooters, obviously. You know, the, the center basically, uh, you know, is extinct for the most part. So, you know, Mitchell Robinson would be a good guy to come off the bench. He was a second-round pick that the Knicks are developing, and he's a good player. But, you know, sometimes everybody gets enamored with the homegrown player, and I understand that because I'm kind of the same way myself. But, you know, Mitchell Robinson will be out for a few weeks here, and the Knicks are probably going to be going with small ball. But the Knicks really need to bring in some some shooters. And, look, I, I tell you the truth, uh, if if they can get some guy, that somebody out there that can knock down a three consistently, this is going to really – this will put, put the Knicks into another tier. They'll put them up another rung on the ladder if they can get that consistent – three-point shooter. I don't know if Barrett's going to be that guy. I think he'll have his nights where he'll be knocking down threes. Barrett's a wonderful little player, man. He's a good player. So everybody just be patient with him. He's still a young player learning the game. You know, let's not let's not forget that he's a young kid that came out of Duke here. So, you know, he, he's got talent. And, you know, prior to the whole Zion Williamson craze, he was the best player in the nation, RJ Barrett, coming into that into that season. So, you know, let's get let's give him a couple of years to develop. And you could see RJ Barrett's got game. He certainly has game. So, you know, you see Emmanuel quickly, and Calipari was waxing poetic about him draft night, Andrew, when we were doing the podcast. And Calipari was on the money when he talked about quickly stealing the draft. And so far, he's been the steal of the draft. Yeah, and I had a couple friends of mine in particular when they drafted him, we thought that that was a little bit of a reach. Uh, I certainly disagreed. I thought it was a good pick when it happened, and he's starting to blossom. And again, there's consistency issues with him. And, you know, there's also nights where he's not getting as much playing time. But look, they brought Derrick Rose in. Derrick Rose knows exactly what kind of situation that the Knicks are in. He's really tight with Thibodeau, and he can really serve as a mentor, and he seems to be embracing that mentor role. So any little kinks in the game of R.J. Barrett or Emmanuel Quickly or maybe even Obi Toppin uh, that you need to sort out, Derrick Rose can kind of be that guy that you can lean on his shoulder and kind of work out those kinks. So I think that that's a good piece that you're not tied to down the road that can really help mold this franchise. And then comes the conversation of where do you go from here? Now, you mentioned the first four, the four first round picks that they possess. That's certainly something that you want. And one thing that gives you hope, the Knicks continuously, continuously missed out on their draft picks. Well, their first year under the new regime of having Leon Rose and company, 
it seems like they hit with Emmanuel quickly late first round. So the more assets you have, the more you're excited about the prospect of them making those selections. And also the more expendable those additional assets become because you have confidence in, Hey, it's okay to give up one of these first round picks. We still have three of them. And I have confidence that our front office can hit on one of those three draft picks. So a lot of situations, a lot of scenarios really open themselves up by what you're seeing from the Knicks here. Listen, are they competing for a championship anytime soon? No, but the bottom line is this is a star driven league. And if you, if you create the building blocks the right way, which is something we've been talking about since we first started this podcast, that affords you the possibility of making a move for a star. And then once you have that star, you're ultimately in the title conversation. So as much as the Knicks are not close to competing, they're starting to, you're starting to see the foundation of them being able to make a move to compete. And that's something, like I said before, that we had not seen out of the Knicks for decades. And and the the plan they had in place is starting to come to fruition a little bit here. Yeah, it would be nice if they can get lucky in the lottery. I mean, if Dallas misses out on the playoffs and, you know, they have their lot. Because it looks like right now the Knicks just might be in the playoffs right now. So, you know, right now they'll be on the outside part of the lottery for the first time in in a couple of years here. Since Carmelo Anthony, you know, they had that 54-win season with Mike Whitson coaching them. So, you know, if the Knicks could somehow get lucky and garner the first overall first-round pick, you know, and, and and grab Cade Cunningham. Oh boy, oh boy! Now you're off and running. You're terrific point guard talent from Oklahoma State, who we probably won't see in the postseason because I believe they're in a ban, if I'm not mistaken, Oklahoma State. But regardless, the kid is is super talented. You know, and you go back to the Knicks draft this year and Obi Toppin. You know, everybody said it. He's only is going to be as good as his point guard is because he's got to play off his point guard. So he, you know, he's a terrific athlete. Uh, so, you know, we'll give him a chance to develop and maybe Derek Rose could help him develop a game once Rose gets here for a couple of more games and, you know, uh, 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 kind of learns the, he, he doesn't have to learn the system because he's played with Thibodeau, for, you know, like I said, on three different teams, but, you know, once he gets to learn the, the talent on the Knicks and gets familiar with, with some of these, these younger players, you might see Obi Toppin maybe in the next couple of weeks and, you know, it might take 10, 12 games Maybe get a good rapport with with Derrick Rose, and don't be surprised if he starts seeing Derrick Rose and Emmanuel quickly on the floor together. You know where Emmanuel quickly basically is playing the shooting guard, and Derrick Rose the point guard. So you might see that too. So look, I mean, it, it's it's good days for all us Nick fans here, and I'm happy to see it. Uh, they're they're a joy to watch right now, considering what we've been coming off of. But like I said in the beginning, Andrew. A coach makes all the difference in the world, man. It just, you, you could see it. And as you look at it right now, the Mavericks are 14 and 15. They're, they're ninth seeded in the Western Conference. So, you know, maybe the Knicks could get lucky here. You know, made the Mavericks, you know, maybe they look to trade Porzingis and maybe they look to go into, you know, maybe almost, uh, um, you know, a little bit of a rebuild mode here. But, you know, we'll see. But, you know, it's like I said, good times for the Knicks, though. So, and... You know what? The best news today, Andrew, is you're going to see fans in the stands. The Knicks will have about 2,000 fans in the stands today, and that's that's the best news we can get. The Nets are only going to have about 300, as they say they want to work out the Kings first. I'm not so sure about that. I'm thinking that, the, you know, the, they just they could have Harden, Durant, Irving, LeBron James. I don't care who it is. The Knicks will still be the team in town, no matter what. That's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. So, 
you know, the Knicks will put 2,000 people in the, in, the, in the stands today, and it's going to be wonderful to hear the cheers finally. And as we start moving forward now with, uh, you know, you're going to start seeing baseball putting fans in the stands, which is terrific. So, you know, look, good times are ahead now, right, right now, and, and the Rangers will be coming back home, and they'll be putting fans in the stands as well. So, look, you know, it, it's going to be a glimmer of hope from what we had from, you know, at this point last year. Oh, well, not at this point, but you know, coming around this point, starting from March of last year. So it'll be, it'll be good times. Absolutely. Yeah. Knicks take on the Warriors tonight, 730. Tune into MSG if you want to watch. And uh, you'll certainly see the fans in the stands, which obviously people have been yearning for. Obviously, if you love sports, you've been watching the sports and you've been loving them, especially being without them for so long. But there's nothing like having the atmosphere. And you're not going to see a sold out crowd by any stretch. But just having fans in the arena and the overall ambiance behind having fans in the arena is certainly uh, is certainly uh, going to be a welcome sight. You brought up the Rangers, and we'll, we'll touch on them quick before we spend a majority of our time talking about baseball. Uh, a troubling story broke yesterday regarding Artemi Panarin. And uh, I'm sure most people have heard about it. If you haven't, uh, a Russian sports uh, magazine website kind of thing posted a story yesterday that uh, accused Artemi Panarin of beating up an 18-year-old girl back in 2011 uh, when he was playing overseas in Russia. Um, the person who made these accusations is a former coach of Panarin, um, someone who is kind of, for lack he's of a better a, term, batshit crazy. Thug himself. Yeah, yeah he, he's, he's, he's gone to anger management sessions he's needed. So he's a thug himself, and he's got no rep- no, no good reputation. So, yep. so you know, just to give you a little light on this, you know, I know you're getting into the Panarin thing, but I'm not sure if you heard uh, the journalist that was on Boomer and Geo this morning. It was a Russian journalist that was on with them, actually. I did not. Very good. Very good. Okay. But go ahead, finish up, and then I'll, I'll let you know what he said. Okay. So we hear word yesterday, Larry Brooks from the New York Post, who covers the Rangers, broke the story saying that Artemi Panarin was taking a leave of absence from the Rangers uh, for an unspecified amount of time um, to kind of face these accusations head on. Um, It's interesting that these accusations came out because Artemi Panarin has been very outspoken against the leadership of Vladimir Putin in Russia. Now, many Russian athletes support Vladimir Putin. Those who oppose him are not as outspoken as Artemi Panarin has been against Vladimir Putin. Uh, Panarin went as far as to tweet a picture of support for the opposition leader in Russia a few months back. Uh, And it's kind of unprecedented what he's been saying uh, about Vladimir Putin and his displeasure with the way things are going in Russia. Uh, And this person who made these accusations against Panarin, avid supporter of Vladimir Putin. So this kind of seems like it's just a political hit piece and they're trying to smear his name and railroad Panarin. And Panarin has returned home. He wants to uh, be with his family. He's saying he's concerned about the well-being of his family, and rightfully so. Uh, We wish him and his family nothing but the best. This reminds me of something that had happened with another player in New York kind of recently, and that's Ennis Cantor when he was on the Knicks. Ennis Cantor, who's from Turkey, has been very outspoken against the leadership in the Turkish government. And, you know, if you live in America – you're obviously afforded the freedoms to be able to speak against 
the government. You know, when we've seen that recently, obviously you, you voice your displeasure with the president. It's it's not a big deal. You can you could say whatever you want about politics. That's not the way it works in other countries. And so Ennis Cantor, as a couple of his family members were actually thrown in jail. I think they might have been tortured to a degree uh, because they were outspoken against the government. So this is just. You know, you don't have the same freedoms in these in these foreign countries that you do in America. So whenever they speak out against their politics and the policies in that country, uh, it's a scary thing. Russia is a crazy place. So Panarin is going to be sidelined for, like I said, an undisclosed amount of time. It's obviously a huge blow to the Rangers, but that's a little secondary right now because this is a scary situation. So we hope the best for Panarin and his family, um, you know hopefully they can face these accusations head on and, and kind of bury the hatchet and, and uh, whatever investigations need to be done to completely clear his name will be done because even the Rangers came out and they made a very, very brash statement uh, basically saying that it was an intimidation tactic and there is no validity to it. And they were behind Panarin hundred percent. And those are serious accusations. And with the prevalence, unfortunately of domestic violence in sports over the past couple of years, um, it's not it's like I said, it's a serious accusation. So to have the Rangers supporting Panarin so adamantly is a good sign. And, and hopefully good comes out of this and, and he's able to clear his name. But, you know, we have no idea how long he's going to be sidelined. So this is scary and it's going to be something to, to keep your eye on for sure in the, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, they had on Slava Malamud uh, this morning on, on the Boomer and Geo show, and he's a uh, independent Russian journalist and basically was translating everything that was going on. And, uh, you know, he pretty much said that, you know, this story is going to be debunked. You know, it's 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 a trash story. Um, None of the players that play with Panarin on that team in the KHL when Panarin was on that team ever recall anything like that. They have zero witnesses to it. Even Nazarov himself said he had no witnesses. It was just what he had heard. So, you know, there's a lot of hearsay here. There's zero witnesses. There's no, there's no uh, uh, girl that came forward that was the victim of this. And not only that, but even, even more than that, the guy brings up a great point. He said, who's going to pay 40,000 euros to get an unknown player in Panarin, who really was a nobody at that point, you know, out of, out of this case? Because evidently the, the rumor was that um, they, he bought his way out of the case. They bought the silence of the victim. Or they bought the or or Panarin paid his way out of the case and and the team paid it for him to keep it quiet. Well, who's going to pay forty thousand euros, which basically amounts back in two thousand, what was it, seven eight years ago when this evidently happened? Who was going to pay forty thousand dollars to get Panarin out of this when he was a nobody player at that point? Right, they wouldn't have. So it's 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 a ridiculous accusation on him. It's politically motivated. Everybody knows it. Now, he also said that he doesn't think that that in any way, shape or form that Putin would go after Panarin's family. He doesn't feel that that would be the case. But then again, maybe this guy doesn't want to speak out against Putin either. Who knows? You know, you don't know. But, you know, obviously Panarin right now, his, uh, you know, his, his, his biggest concern is his family. And who knows? Maybe he's trying to get them out of there and trying to secure their safety. Maybe he tries to get them into Canada if he can't get them here. So somehow, some way. Now, I've been reading gets- and, I, and I couldn't find a definitive answer. Is Panarin a U.S. citizen? You know, I, I, I thought he had became one. Um, I don't see anything. I didn't see anything definitive. Uh, I mean, I'm sure if we Google it, U.S. citizen, <laughs> I mean. But I, that's what I tried doing yesterday, and I couldn't figure it out. And Because I figured that he probably was, because if 
um, if he was if he wasn't a U.S. citizen, then if this was indeed politically motivated and Putin has something to do with it, then he could just be deported. Um, but if he is a U.S. citizen, then this could be used as an intimidation. He couldn't be deported, and he's going back under his own uh, under his own power. You know, I, there's a lot of layers to it. But I, I, I looked it up, and you know, he still spends his summers in Russia. He did move over here back in 2015, I believe, is when he moved here. Uh, when he was playing with the Blackhawks, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, I haven't figured it out definitively. But yeah, I don't again. see anything that 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 relates, you know, looking at his Wikipedia page that he is a U.S. citizen. He might not be. But look, this this will take care of itself. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take. I, I, you know, this will take care of itself. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, I mean, this is this is things and. Uh, um these are things that, you know, will sort itself out. I'm sure the Rangers will get involved and whatever connections the Rangers have will be involved. So this, this will get sorted out. It might take a little time. Let's hope it doesn't take the full two weeks because obviously the Rangers right now, you know, they just won a couple of games. They look terrific in their last two road games that they won. Um, and look again, you know, they, they got to get more contributions from, from some of their veteran players. So, um, you know, we can get into that uh, later on. Maybe we'll get back. We'll go back into the baseball preview now that we were going to start. So let's get into that um, because otherwise we could talk about the Rangers forever right now. I mean, listen, they have some Especially issues with me right now. They're going to be they're going to be missing Capo Caco probably again uh, tomorrow night as he went on the COVID list. Nobody knows if he was just a contact trace or or if he has COVID itself. And Capo Caco, who also is type one diabetes. So that's an underlying condition. So, you know, you have to be careful with that and they'll take all the precautions necessary for him. So you haven't heard much else about Capo Caco. Let's hope he can get back, uh, you know, to the ice soon and, and he's okay and, and hopefully symptom-free here. So um, otherwise, look, the Rangers are what the Rangers are right now. They're out there on the outside looking in. It's going to be very tough road for them ahead right now. They got off to a terrible start. And with some of these, uh, you know, players missing like Panarin and Caco and, He'll hopefully maybe coming back in the next week or two. We haven't heard anything about him. You know, it's going to be a tough grind for the Rangers. Troop is out for another six to six to eight weeks himself. You know, look, I don't know how the Rangers are going to do it. It's going to be smoke and mirrors. But to be honest with you, it's going to be a difficult road ahead for the Rangers to try and compete for a playoff spot because they're going to have to reel off six, seven, eight wins in a row because of the start that they got off to. So, you know, we'll end with that and we'll get into the baseball preview. And I guess we'll start off with the Yankees here, Andrew. And, Look, it's almost the same thing with the Yankees, Andrew. It's 95 to 100 wins, and they're in the playoffs. You know, they'll probably win a division this year, to be honest with you, because I don't, I, I, you know, I, I don't see them losing out on this division, regardless of their pitching. And their starting pitching is a question mark after Garrett Cole. You know, they signed Corey Kluber off for, off for you know, he's come off a couple, a couple of injuries. They signed him to a one-year deal. They brought in Jamison Talion in a, in a, in a deal. They brought in, uh, you know, they have some young players coming in. You just heard Clark Schmidt went down with an injury. They have Jordan Montgomery coming back. Masahara Tanaka went back to Japan, so he wasn't re-signed. The Yankees have a good, solid bullpen here. Um, but, you know, after, after Cole, it's a bunch, it is a bunch of question marks. But, but more than anything, look, the Yankees are going to outslug teams in a regular season. We see it. How many years in a row, Andrew? They brought back DJ LeMahieu on, on a team-friendly deal, six years, $90 million. So they got probably the, arguably their best hitter in the lineup back. And again, with the Yankees, it's all dictated on health. Health. The health of Giancarlo Stanton. The health of Aaron Judge. Can Gleyber Torres handle shortstop? 
you know, so otherwise, if the Yankees are healthy there, you're going to pencil them in for 95, 100 wins easily. And their only competition in that division would probably just be the Toronto Blue Jays. So, you know, again, with the Yankees, it's to me, their only question mark is they're starting pitching after Garrett Cole. He gets hurt, then they're screwed. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, we're in lockstep there. And we said... We don't think the Yankees are built to win a championship. I don't think that's a secret. You've seen them falter the same way in the playoffs three or four years in a row now, and they haven't done anything to address that because they're up against it luxury tax-wise, and they want to keep the reasons why they're so competitive intact. And the reasons why they're so competitive is that lineup. That lineup can slug their way to 95-100 wins in the regular season, even with questionable and iffy starting pitching. Once it comes time for the playoffs, that kind of thing changed. Colder weather, better pitching the lineups tend to be neutralized. And you've seen that with the Yankees over the past couple seasons. Look, they're a talented team, and I'm certainly going to be wary about picking against them in the playoffs. But those playoff woes have reared their ugly head, like I said, three, four years in a row. So what they need to be able to do is they need to be able to solidify that rotation a little bit. So on an off night where their lineup does not slug their way to victory, they still have a chance to win. And in order to do that, you need to hope a couple things happen. You need to hope that Luis Severino, when he, whenever he comes back from the Tommy John surgery, can be his old self when he first burst onto the scene. You need to hope that... Yeah, you're probably Armand, not going to figure on that, though. You're not going right. to figure on Severino be, because they're going to have him on a pitch count, much like Syndergaard would be with the Mets. Severino will be on a pitch count. They're not going to take any chances with him, probably. So, you know, I don't see him coming in and, and setting the world on fire right away. And probably more than anything, they're just going to get him ready for a postseason run. But like you said, Andrew, it's the same old story in the postseason with the Yankees. It's their hitting that they lack. Because, you know, like you said, they slugged their way in, in, you know, 162 games in a season. And then come time, they got shut down because, once again, good pitching always beats good hitting, Andrew. We see it constantly, time and time again. And the Yankees get, get they, they hit a brick wall in the playoffs. They always do. They always do. And that's why they need the pitching to step up. Because, like I said, when their hitting is neutralized, they need to still be able to have a shot. You have to see, you know, we both weren't a huge fan of the signing, but Corey Kluber is going to be a big impact player on this team. If he can somehow regain his 2017 form, which me and you both think is not likely, but if he's able to do it, that would help. If you're able to get a, a, a full, you know, 170 plus inning year out of someone like Jordan Montgomery, and he's able to pitch to a four ERA or maybe something less than that, that's going to be a really good, a really big key for the Yankees. If Domingo Herman comes back into the rotation and there's some question marks with him obviously coming back from his domestic violence issue and how he's going to be embraced with the team that's been called into question the past few days if he comes back and he's able to win games that's a big key it all comes down to pitching because if you're a one-dimensional team it does not matter how talented you are you cannot compete for a championship because when you're one-dimensional there's always a team out there that's not and could be able to exploit your weaknesses which has been what's happening over the past couple of years. But listen, as far as the regular season is concerned, I mean, it, there's no debate. They're the class of the American League, and it's really not close. I mean, the Astros have taken a step back. You saw guys struggle last season again, and you're not going to put a ton of stock into 2020, but you saw guys like Altuve who struggled mightily. And you can also, you know, talk about, you know, they're not cheating anymore. So, you know, there's that whole conversation. They lose George Springer in free agency. Um, the Blue Jays. They're a young team. Don't think that they're ready, that they're there quite yet. 
Uh, I'd say 2022 is probably the year where they can actually be competitive. The Rays trading Blake Snell lost a couple other pieces. They're not going to be as competitive. The White Sox, they were really good last season. Again, it's a 60-game season. I'm not sure how they would have fared under a full 162, and they're still a young team as well. So there's going to be some hiccups for the White Sox. So I think the Yankees, talent-wise, are the best team in the American League. But again, they need to get contributions from their pitching staff because if they don't, I have a feeling that we're going to be singing the same old song that we've been singing for the past four years in October when it comes to the Yankees. I really do. Well, I'll tell you the truth. I think Yankee-Blue Jay games will be first team to get the 15. Because they're another team, you know, with, with no pitching with their, and a ton of bats, with, with, right? With their with their with their lineup and their lack of pitching, Toronto, you know, they're another team that's going to be much like the Yankees. They're going to outslug teams in a regular season. You know, the uh, you know Toronto has their ace in Hinju Rue, you know, and after that, it's uh, Nate Peterson, Robbie Ray, Tanner Rock. Uh, they even got Stephen Matz, you know, Ross Stripling. I, I, you know, it, it's t- and even their bullpen is weak. So the Yankees have a big edge in the bullpen over the uh, over the Blue Jays because the Yankees bullpen is is actually pretty solid there, especially with Chapman and Britton, you know, being your top two guys. And they brought in Darren O'Day. They brought in Justin Wilson. They still have Chad Green and Loisaga. So, you know, again, with the Yankees, it's going to be starting pitching depth after Garrett Cole, and they need to keep Garrett Cole healthy because if he goes down, the Yankees really have no depth there. And even, you know, you even look at the Yankee bench, and I know that a lot of times the Yankees always somehow pull guys out of the ass from the minors position players like Talkman and Mike Ford. But, you know, you, you, you look at their bench right now and it's, you know, a couple of injuries here and there. They could be in trouble there because you got to keep judging Stanton. Again, these are guys that have missed a lot of time over the last couple of years, you know, so especially Stanton and, and judge and judge get these freaky injuries. So if those guys could stay healthy throughout the season, I'll make a hell of a lot easier on the Yankees in this division. I do believe that the Yankees win this division with no issues unless, again, health is going to determine all that. But for the most part, the Yankees have proven, even when not healthy, that they're still going to be the class of the division for the most part. Because, you know, you, you, you look at Tampa and Tampa, their top two starters, you know, being Blake Snell and Charlie Morton, are both not there anymore. Well, think about it this way, too. You mentioned how the bullpen is pretty darn good for the Yankees. Yeah. Well, that listen, is... listen, though. Yeah. How good is that bullpen, actually, if your starting pitchers are only going to go five innings per night over the course of a 162-game season? That's, that's again, why everything hinges on the starting rotation. Yeah. Because once you get to October, you can't rely on that bullpen if you're getting 70-plus appearances out of some of the guys in that bullpen in the regular season. You need to be able to get some sort of length out of your starting pitching. And, yeah, I get guys don't go seven, eight innings on a nightly basis anymore because that's just not the, not the nature of baseball. There's a shorter leash on starting pitchers. But you can't have those guys that are only going two, three innings, which is what happened a lot of the time last season because there was a lot of question marks. You need guys that are going to be able to give you five, six innings consistently or else that bullpen will be overworked. And when October comes, they're going to be just as much of a question mark as the starting pitching behind Garrett Cole. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we didn't mention Domingo Haman being there too. And as you know, there's a lot of issues with Haman being on a team as, you know, Zach Britton's been outspoken about him pretty much, you know, same. Well, I basically, I have to play with him. I'd rather not, but I have to. He's on the roster. 
A lot of players were not happy with this whole Domingo uh, Haman situation. And it just, you know, that's what ticks me off sometimes, you know, with the media and everything and, and the way everybody perceives things. You know, the Mets are a joke because they hired Jared Porter and they had another issue with, uh, with an associate hitting coach uh, a couple of weeks back that they had hired and they had to fire him because he had some harassment issues in, in his background and they fired him then, you know. A, a, but yet the Yankees, you know, they brought back Aroldis Chapman after he had that incident with the gun, locked up his girlfriend in the garage when he was in the Dominican Republic. And now this incident, Domingo Herman, he's on a Yankee roster. Let's think about this. If that was the Mets, how much abuse do you think the Mets would be taking right oh, now? They would, be, they would be dragged through the mud. They, they'd be getting buried. And yet the Yankees, it goes almost swept under the carpet. Now, look, it, there's a possibility her mom might start off in the minus because if this is going to be a situation where, you know, a lot of guys really don't really want him around for, you know, for what he's done. And listen, it's been documented. This is, you know, there, there was a, an unnamed Yankee player that whose wife and himself actually got a phone call to go to Domingo Haman's apartment because the, his girlfriend was locked in a, in, in a bedroom and she was calling for help. And this also evidently started at a, a CC Sabathia um, uh, charity event where there was witnesses to where this first started. You know, there's a lot of guys that, you know, it's in the back of your mind that, you know what, I don't want to play with this guy on my team. He's a bad guy. So the Yankees are going to have to walk on eggshells with this. And Aaron Boone better, you know, he better find the right words to say because Aaron Boone right now has handled this horrifically, horrifically. I'm sorry. He really, really has. And I don't think the Yankees have handled this well because Aaron Boone basically just thought that, you know, uh, Domingo Haman would come into spring training and all would be good. Well, I didn't really gauge the temperature of the locker room, you know, and I didn't feel like it, it would get to this point. Well, really? Okay. Is that what you thought? Okay. Well, you know, at least he was honest and well, admitted his stupidity. This is, this is a different situation than most. And, and I, it, domestic violence cannot be condoned at all. It, it's, it's vile, right? But a lot of times I feel like if someone did something, they apologize for their actions, they might be embraced and it could be everybody makes mistakes, you move on and you learn from it. But like you said, this whole thing occurred at a charity event where other players were present. And I feel like it might strike a chord a little bit more being there sure. and witnessing it happening. And it's a lot harder for those guys to get over it. So yep. the Yankees themselves, Aaron Boone, Herman, they're all in a real difficult spot right now. And like I said, with so many question marks, if this is a guy that you're going to have to count on to be a key cog in your rotation, that's not the best situation to be in. Here we are as spring training is underway. Yeah. And he pitched well for the Yankees a couple of years ago. You know, he pitched well for them during the Herman. You know, who's to say he's, you know, he's going to be that same sort of pitcher, but he gave them some good innings. And, you know, believe it or not, he's a key guy for them, believe it or not. I mean, if if he starts off on the roster, unless they send him down to the manager just to start, just to quiet things and, you know, maybe have some players maybe just kind of think about what the situation is. And if they accept him back, maybe the Yankees keep him in the minors for a couple of months. But, you know, at this point right now, can the Yankees afford to keep, uh, you know, him in the minors? Because I tell you the truth. After after uh, uh, Cole, he might be the next best pitcher because, again, you don't know what you're going to get out of the Kluber. He really hasn't pitched many innings in the last two years. He really hasn't. And he's, has he had major injuries? But he's had injuries enough to, to where, you know, it kept him out where he has limited innings over the last two years. You know, there's Jamison Talon, too. He's another guy injured. But, you know, look, the Yankees are trying to catch lightning, lightning in a bottle right now. So, uh, but, again... They'll have their lineup intact, and they brought back Brett Gardner on a two-year deal. So, you know, I, you kind of question that 
but in a way you don't because you kind of want to keep the roster spot, but maybe some of your younger players, and you would hope that they would give Clint Frazier a legit uh, um, spot in left field. Aaron Hicks obviously will play center, who's another injury-prone player, and then you'll have Judge and Wright, and probably just Gardner would spell Hicks, and he'll spell Frazier on, on certain nights. You know, because I don't think Gardner at this point right now is probably, uh, you know, an everyday player. He really shouldn't be. Maybe you bring him in defensively, you know, late inning of games, you bring him in for, you know, for Clint Frazier in left field. Have him spell him out there, you know, in a late inning situation in a close game. And that's about it. But, you know, for the most part, like I said, it's all going to be a matter of health. And look, the bounce back of, of Gleyber Torres, who, you know, really, he had a terrific September. But prior to that, he was terrible at the plate, Gleyber Torres. And again, I'm giving a lot of these guys passes for, for what happened last year, because we've seen it happen with Arenado and Lindor. A lot of guys had terrible, terrible seasons last year. And so, you know, you don't know what's weighing on a guy's mind with this whole pandemic going on. He leaves his family and, you know, just a lot of stress uh, just from, from that alone. So, you know, you got to give these guys passes that, you know, have a track record that really didn't, you know, didn't produce at all um, um, this past season in a, in a shortened season. So we'll see. And I guess that'll move us on to the uh, New York Metsies here. Our um, New York Metsies. Look, I mean... The, the last part of this offseason uh, didn't end with a bang, which I thought it might. Didn't end with a bang. It started off with a bang. You know, as, as they brought in James McCann, they weren't going to wait for, uh, for JT Real Muto, you know, to decide where he wanted to go. And I don't think they wanted to spend that sort of money on a 30-year-old catcher. I don't think they wanted to do that. Um, so they brought in James McCann on a four-year, $40 million deal right away. They added Trevor May, who's, you know, has been a terrific bullpen on for the Twins. So hopefully he can duplicate that success with the Mets because the Mets need all the bullpen help they can get because they did lose Seth Lugo a couple of weeks ago. He needed some, um, some surgery on some floating bone chips, and he's going to be out about six weeks. So probably Lugo will be back by mid-May, which isn't the worst thing in the world. So it'll keep him a little fresher, and hopefully he comes back healthy from there. You know, um, they still have familiar. I, I, I'm hoping that Patances kind of bounces back a little bit. I think he'll be a key guy for them, Andrew. They brought in an in, in Aaron Loop, you know, a lefty who really at this point right now, specialized lefties, what are they anymore when you have to be mandatory pitching to three batters for the most part, you know? So uh, their rotation is solidified, though. You know, they of course, they have – the greatest pitcher in, in major in the major leagues right now. He's the best pitcher in the major leagues, Jacob DeGrom. So it is, we don't have to say much about him. Just read the back of his baseball card. That's all you need to see with Jacob DeGrom. He's terrific. They brought back Stroman on the one-year $18 million qualifier. And the, the key, I tell you the truth, Andrew, you know, in that Lindor trade, the key guy to me, I mean, of course you got Lindor, but just to get Carlos Carrasco in that deal, there's your number two starter right there. Because I still don't trust Stroman all that much. But Carrasco, you know, look, he had the leukemia a couple of years ago. He bounced back from that. Terrific pitcher. I think he'll be even better in the National League than he was in the American League. Yeah, no. I, Carrasco, I think, is a piece that gets overlooked because obviously Francisco Lindor was the big prized item in that trade. But you came into the offseason. This is all you need to know about the Mets and the direction they went this offseason. Yeah, there's people out there that are mad that they didn't get Bauer or whatever. There's people that are mad that they didn't get Springer, and I'm one of them. People might be mad that they went for James McCann as opposed to JT Riomuto. Here's what I have to say. The Mets 
again, you were giving people a pass for last season because it was such a weird season. Okay. But this is a team that was 10 games over 500, just missed out on the playoffs in 2019. They have a lot of the same pieces on that roster, but instead of Ahmed Rosario, they have Francisco Lindor. Instead of Rick Porcello and Michael Waka, they have Carlos Carrasco and they have Taiwan Walker. Instead of Wilson Ramos, they have James McCann. Instead of someone like Guillermo Heredia or Matt Dendecker, they have Kevin Pillar and Albert Almora Jr. Instead of a guy like Daniel Zamora, they have a guy like Aaron Loop. I mean, those are like definitive, extreme upgrades at every single position that I just named. And this is a team that was 10 games over 500 two years ago. So they have significantly improved in every area imaginable this offseason, and they can compete for the division. I would argue that I think from top to bottom, the Braves are probably still a notch above them, but that's it. They're the second best team in this division, and and you could still compete for the division crown. I think they're better than Washington. I think they're much better than Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is a bust of a team. And the Marlins, yeah, they made the playoffs last season. The Marlins are not a good baseball team. We can just just call it how it is. So this is the year where they can compete, and I think you see how all these pieces work out, and then you really decide what direction you're going to go towards next. And there's going to be decisions as far as, you know, extending Lindor, which I'm, you know, I'm sure will get done, extending Conforto, which I'm sure will get done. But this is when you really see that the front office is, is finally that they're, they're not taking any shortcuts anymore. Okay. They're trying no. to win ball games. They made the moves to put together a team to win ball games. And I'm anxious to see what, what the hell happens after spring training once we get the regular season started, because, you know, with the disgusting taste that was in both of our mouths last season, and then the excitement that came with new ownership, I mean, I'm just ready for them to take the field and start playing some baseball. And not only that, Andrew, but you know, you, you look at what they used to, as far as pitching depth that they used to have, it used to be the, the Corey Oswalds and the Chris Flexons of the world. I mean, those guys sucked. They absolutely sucked. <laughs> so, you know, now, now at least you have, you know, guys like Joey Lucchese, Jordan Yamamoto, who they picked up from the Marlins, they have some they have some major league depth there. They have some guys that have had success in the majors, albeit not the greatest success, but they are guys that you could you could plug in there in the event of an injury to one of your back-end starters. I'm not saying they'll plug in and replace a Jacob deGrom or maybe even a Carrasco or for that for you know for the most part, but they have major league pitching depth now that they can trust. And that's key because, you know, it's rare that you're going to go five, six deep, you know, what your start is the whole season. So you're going to need eight, nine starters a lot of times, sometimes 10. So, you know, they, they have these guys here, you know, they have David Peterson who had success last year in a short season, rookie, you know, the rookie lefty. And he you know, looked like he could hold his own on the back end as well. So, you know, they, they have that depth and more than anything, they, they signed Taiwan Walker to a two year, $20 million deal who had a good good season and a shortened season himself, Taiwan Walker. And again, he's a fifth starter. So, you know, you, you could put him in as a fifth starter and just, just you know, he just, you just wanted to give you six solid innings if he could. Six solid innings. Doesn't have to be great. Just six solid innings is fine. And then, you look, hopefully you have Syndergaard coming back in June, July. Now, again, Syndergaard's going to come back. He's not going to be throwing 100, 115 pitches a game course they're going to baby him but at least he'll be an arm coming back he'll be a big arm coming back so you know the Mets have really you know they've solidified their rotation so they look solid there you know their only issue again will be you know it's going to be the bullpen because you know do we trust the Edwin are we going to get the Edwin Diaz that we got in the shortened season Andrew that's 
That's a big question. And now we don't have Lugo, you know, to start the season, you know, to help out here. So uh, look, I, I'll, to me, their bullpen is still a gigantic question mark right now. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the big issue, right? Because if Edwin Diaz falters to start the season, who are you turning to? Betances, yeah, I, what has Betances shown you? Betances has shown you that he's a pitcher who needs to rediscover how to be able to pitch with diminished velocity. Jerry's Familia is a guy who is past his prime. Oh. He's on the back end, back end yeah. of his career, and we've seen enough of Jerry's Familia. I've seen enough of Jerry's Familia in mop-up roles. I certainly don't need to see him anymore in high-leverage situations. Do you turn to Trevor May? a guy who doesn't have an, a whole lot of closing experience, if any. I mean, if my memory serves me correctly, I don't think he has any closing experience except for maybe a, a night here or a night there. So if if Diaz falters to start the season, that's a huge blow because there's nobody you can turn to. You got to no. go with closer by committee with a bunch of guys who have either A, never done it before, or B, have proven that they're just as shaky as Diaz is in that role. So they need to hope that he gets out to a hot start to the season because that will alleviate not having Seth Lugo for the first couple of weeks or or maybe even month or two. I mean, they might be relying on arms like Miguel Castro and, you know, Drew Smith, who I thought kind of could be a little, I told you that the other day when I texted you that, I thought Drew Smith could be a little bit of a dark horse here in his bullpen. He's got, a, really good like arsenal. He's got a good arsenal of pitches. He's got some good stuff. Now, look, you know, is, is he going to have the makeup for a closer? Hey, who knows? You don't know. So many of these closers, you know, they come out of nowhere. They come out of nowhere, these guys. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden they close games. So, look, I mean, hopefully the, the bullpen can shape itself out. And you, know, you never know. Look, the Mets might still have a couple of minor moves. You know, coming here in spring training, you never know if there's a little move here and there to bring in some more bullpen help. Um, and hopefully Lugo does get back sooner than later. And hopefully it's by mid-May because then at least then by then, you know, you, you still have plenty of time, you know, to to solidify that bullpen with Lugo coming back. So, Well, you're a perfect example of, a, of these closers coming out of nowhere. Look at 2019. Who is the best closer in baseball? Kirby Yates, 32, Kirby Yates yeah. 32 years old, 1.19 yeah. ERA. After having yeah. a, a, a journeyman start to his career, he doesn't really define himself until he's 32 years old. He leads the league in saves and, and, and with 1.19 ERA. Burst yeah. onto the scene and then finally got a pretty sizable contract out of it. So, listen. Yeah, he signed with Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. I think he got a – see, that's what – see, that's another thing, and, and I'm not going to waste too much time on this, but I believe he signed for $6 million which is sizable considering he was a 32-year-old who was a journeyman. Getting $6 right. million for a closer's role is huge. But he was the best closer in baseball in 2019. He gets $6 million and the A's, small market team, give Trevor Rosenthal $11 million? $11 That's what million was so dollars. puzzling about that contract, man. I yeah, mean, that, that was, was a weird just... contract. It was a weird contract. And, you know, it's, it's a weird contract how, how they set it up, though, because they set it up to where the money's deferred over, I think, three or four years. So if Rosen, if the A's are in contention and Rosenthal is pretty much expendable at that point, at the trading deadline, the, a, the A's basically pay him maybe about $3 million tops and they can trade him and then the other team will be on the hook for $8 million. So they split that contract up. I was reading about that the other day, which is interesting. And it's something what the Nationals did with Brad Hand as well. They deferred that money over three years because Hand yep. got $10 million. And the only reason why he didn't sign with the Mets was he was basically guaranteed a closer job with the Nationals. And same thing with Rosendor. Basically, after they lost Liam Hendricks to free agency, Rosendor was basically, you know, guaranteed a closer job also. And that's what these guys want. And that's why the Mets lost out on them, not because they're cheap, but because they said, listen, how much are we going to pay for a guy that we can't, we can't 
you know, distinguish if he's going to be our closer or not. You know, you can't pay right. that much money because these middle relievers are so volatile. And even certain closers at times could be so damn volatile at times. I mean, Trevor Rosenthal was a hell of a, a, a closer back in the day. And then, you know, he, he had two or three bad years in a row. And all of a sudden last year, he came on terrific again. So well, then he missed the whole season with Tommy John surgery. Also the whole season with Tommy John surgery, those late inning flamethrowers, they fizzle out and they, they're like Tommy John surgery waiting to happen. These guys. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a volatile position that relief pitches. So look, and then, you know, look, we get into the starting positions with the Mets and, I tell you, it's going to be interesting how they handle this whole Dominic Smith, Brandon Nimmo situation, because I'll be honest with you, I want Dominic Smith's bat in the, in the lineup every day. And so far, we haven't heard any word that there's going to be the universal DH. As of right now, there is no universal DH. And we're hoping to God as Mets fans that there is a universal DH, because if there is, then we can get Smith's, in a, uh, Smith's bat in the lineup every day. And to be honest with you, I, you know, I, I, I'd rather see him out in left field than Brandon Nimmo. Well, then Nimmo is penciled in as your center fielder also. I, I, I think well, Nimmo is guaranteed a starter's role. It's either center field or it's left field if there is a DH. If there's not a DH, he's in center field, and Pilar is used I, as a platoon guy. I'm thinking we're going to see a couple of platoons here, Andrew, and I'm thinking that, you know, it, the only problem is, you know, in a platoon, we, do we need to see Brandon Nimmo and Dominic Smith in left field and center field all over again? Because that was our problems last year, and then with J.D. Davis at third base. You know, it, it, it really it nullifies whatever defensive improvement we were trying to make um, this season. Because if you got Smith in left, who's in a below average left fielder, Nimmo in center, who's a below average center fielder, and J.D. Davis at third, who's a below average third baseman as far as his glove is concerned, you know, it, it weaken your defense here. But I can almost see it starting out to where you you basically will, will start out with a platoon of Nimmo and Pilar, Smith in left field, you know, late in in games, then you might see Pilar uh, in center and then Nimmo move over to left for defensive purposes. Then you might see, as they were mentioning, you might see McNeil uh, platoon, not himself platooning, but J.D. Davis basically in a platoon with Jonathan Villar, who the Mets signed, which was a very under the radar signing. I like that signing. And you might see at certain times when McNeil be playing third and Villar will be at second. So one thing the Mets do have, Andrew, and Look, they still have Luis Guillaume on the bench, so he's a he's a solid. Don't forget player. about so, him. Yeah, he listen. He one thing about him, I know I made fun of him over these you know some of these podcasts, but you know he is a solid glove. So you know you could plug him at second, short, third, and he's a good play to have on the bench because he is a good solid glove, and he kind of uh, you know he he showed a little bit with his bat last year as well. So Guillaume looks like he's going to be sticking around also. So you have some, at least, you know what, you, you have Louis Rojas this year. He's got some maneuverability, Andrew, you know, he's got some flexibility with this, with this lineup and his roster. It's just going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Now, obviously when they're playing interleague games, you'll probably see Smith at first and you'll see Alonzo DHing more than anything. So that would help the Mets, but what would it really help them if they can come through with this and something definitive that they will have the DH this year, but it doesn't look like they will. So, you know, it's going to be a move point at this point. Yeah, I, I've seen, I don't know, it might have been John Heyman um, who said, not that he's confident that there will be a DH, but he would say, do not have your heart set on there not being a DH until April 2nd, opening day is here, right. and there isn't one. He said, leave the door open for there to be one. Um, you know, listen, it comes down to the fact that the owners and the players, they don't care about the sport. They care about 
the money that's in their pockets and they care about bickering with each other over anything. And I'm convinced they just like the drama because there is no reason why there would not be a designated hitter. Um, it opens up jobs for or 15 more jobs for the National League. Right. Well, they were saying that the, the, the owners don't want to pay the money, the extra money to a another player that's going to be hitting. Right. And so them more money. in turn, the what they want to do is they want right. to have the expanded playoffs so they right. can offset right. that cost. But the players right. look at it and say, hey, if we're going to have an expanded playoff, then that's going to encourage the owners not to spend more money because they say, hey, we don't have to spend that extra five to seven million dollars because we have an easier chance of making the playoffs now. So I understand both points of view. But listen, go to the negotiating table when the collective bargaining agreement is up and there needs to be negotiating done. I don't understand why there's bargaining going on constantly. There's never any sort of there's never any sort of agreement that could be made. It's constant bickering and constant. Okay, I owe you, you owe me. It it's better well, for the sport. Than, no one wants to yeah. see a pitcher hit. Nobody no. wants to see a pitcher hit. Okay, one of the greatest moments, and I think it speaks more about how much of an embarrassment the Mets franchise has been over the past. I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> was Bartolo Colon hitting a home yeah. run? Okay, yeah. every Met fan loved it. It went viral on Twitter. Baseball fans were joyous everywhere. Listen. It was a great moment, not denying it. I could do without it. I'd rather not watch the pitcher strike out 99 times out of 100 than to see that happen once in a blue moon. I'd rather there be a bona fide hitter in the lineup. And listen, who says you need to go out there and not every National League team, not every National League owner needs to go out there and sign a big-time Nelson Cruz type bat to be the designated hitter. No, you can just grab someone off your bench and put them in. Are the Mets going to be major players on the free agent market to get a DH? No, they're going to supplement one that's on their team. And a lot of teams are going to be able to do that. So it's not like they're going to need to spend like drunken sailors. We've said that term. They're not going to have to spend like drunken sailors just because there's a DH. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. I and mean, listen, maybe I'm a little bit biased because I'm a Mets fan and the, and the, and the designated hitter would – benefit them a lot more than it would other teams that they, they, they need to be designated hitter more than a lot of other teams do. But listen, I've been saying it for years The the whole, the, the sanctity of the game where we need to keep things different because that's the way it was always done. It's so tired and it's, it's just, it's lame. It's so lame. It's so lame. It, it needs yeah. to be the same. If you want to have pitchers hit fine, have them hit in both leagues. The, the fact that it's different is it, that's driv- driven me up a wall for the longest time. It really has. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. You know, I was always one because, you know me, I'm old school. I'm a traditional guy. But at some point, I changed my ways with the, uh, you know, you know, wanting the DH because I just I'm getting tired because, listen, here's the bottom line, Andrew. Nobody's playing small ball anymore anyway. There's no more, you know, nobody even knows how to bunt, including the pitcher. They don't even know how to bunt anymore. You know, nobody's moving runners over and just playing for one run anymore. Everything's about the home run and the strikeout nowadays anymore anyway. And we don't need to see any more strikeouts from a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher or anything else for that matter. So, you know, and, and you'll also eliminate, you'll eliminate the constant pinch hitting and relief pitcher moves like you see in the AL now in the NL as well, because then you won't have to worry about hitting for the relief pitcher, the double move, which slows the game down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you, you could eliminate that as well. But like I said, these pitchers don't even know how to bunt anymore. They don't even know how to bunt. So what's the difference? There is no more small ball. That's what I used to love about the national league back in the day before this whole, this became an offensive explosion all of a sudden. And who knows, maybe the way that, you know, this ball is not going to be juiced and it's going to be deadened, you know, as they say, uh, 
maybe you know I don't, I don't know maybe it takes a little a little of the offense away but you know what just put the dh in i'll be honest with you just put it in because you got guys like edwin and canacion that are out there that can't even get a job now because listen he's a dh Right. I mean, you know, Azuna signed a four-year contract with the Braves, but the Braves more than anything said, you know what? We'll have one year of bad defense in left field. Next year, they'll probably be the universal DH anyway, which they, they figure will be in, in play for at least next year, if not this year. And more than anything, Freddie Freeman and, and Travis Darno, well, I can't believe I'm saying Travis Darno, but they'll both be free agents at the end of this year. And if they can't re-sign them, at the very least, at least they have a big bat in the lineup with Azuna, and plus the fact that he is a mentor to to Ronald Acuna. They're all world talent out there too. So, but um, uh, I just got an alert. Taiwan Walker respects Mister Met. He chose ninety nine because the mascot wears his preferred number zero zero. Yeah, you should have just took a <laughs> you should have just took a baseball bat and whacked Mister Met in the head already. In <laughs> that guy's misery. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I tell you, I've been I've been keeping tabs on Taiwan Walker's Twitter account. He's a funny guy. He's a character. He's a good person. Well, I, Trevor I think May's he'll be a another good personality guy, to have. One thing you're hearing from from the Mets is that their locker room is very cohesive. There's a few guys that have come out, and and one of them being Marcus Stroman, who's very outspoken on Twitter. I mean, you know, he's very outspoken. If anybody's on Twitter, you see what he puts out there, but. You know, he said it's a very, very close clubhouse right now. A few guys have mentioned that. Lindor had mentioned it as well. So, you know, it, it's if it's a cohesive unit, you know, Dominic Smith's a guy that keeps everybody together. You know, you always see that guy. He's 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 a happy guy. He's like Brandon Nimmo. You know, one thing about Nimmo, he's always got a smile on his face. So, you know, that, that chemistry over 162 games, it means a lot when you're inside a clubhouse in a locker room. That little family atmosphere, that close-knit unity there. So, you know, I'm expecting big things from the Mets. How many games they win? I mean, listen, they're, they're expected to blow out the NL East. I, you know, I don't see it because I could still see the Braves as a threat. I mean, how do you not? I mean, you know, you look at the Braves, their everyday lineup with Freddie Freeman and Ozzy Osbys and Ronald Acuna. And, you know, they, I mean, they got studs. I mean, there's studs out there. I mean, you know, got, they brought back uh, Marcelo Zuna. They have another stud coming up on the mind is Christian Page you know, who they expect things from, big things from. So, you know, their starting pitching is, you know, they got solid starting pitching with Max Freed. They brought in Charlie Morton. They got Soroka. Ian Anderson's a good young arm. You know, they brought back, they brought in Drew Smiley. So they got some starting pitching and their bullpen is good, not great. You know, they got Will Smith as their closer and they brought in Chris Martin too. So, you know, they have a good bullpen, not a great bullpen, but look, it, it, it should be... Uh, it should be a fun NL East because I could see the Braves, you know, who always give the Mets problems. You know, the question is, what are the Nationals going to give you? And I, I thought about something, Andrew, and think about this scenario now with the Washington Nationals. I know a lot of people aren't expecting them to compete all that much, but you know, when you got Scherzer and you got Strasburg, you got Patrick Corbin in that, uh, and they added John Lester. You know, your top three pitches are being Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, and your fourth starter is John Lester. That's not so bad. But could you imagine if the if the Nationals fall out of contention around the trading deadline, what the bidding war would be for Max Scherzer, who's a free agent, who's a free agent at the end of this year? Yeah. Yeah, you know. Boy, oh boy. That's that's interesting. 
I thought about this yesterday because, I, you know, he was a free agent. He's coming up. And that's one of the best contracts ever signed as a free agent. Seven years, $160 million. And Scherzer was dynamic. Yeah. Dynamic. So I said, wow, free agent in this year, man. If the Washington Nationals are not in contention. Which I'm going to come out and just say it. They won't be. Well, look, you, I'm going to guarantee it, that. I'm going to set that. And that's my hot take of the night. There's no way they're not going to be in contention. I, I don't know. Only, be, only because with those top three starters, if those three guys stay healthy, they could do some damage as those top three starters because those are three aces right there. I mean, maybe not so much Corbin, but Corbin's at least the number two guy. I mean, you know, those those are three solid starters right there. And, you know, look, it's – I mean, third base is a question mark for them. Shorts up, obviously, they have Trey Turner. He stays healthy. I, you know, obviously you have, I mean, Juan Soto is just a terrific talent. You know, Stalin Castro at, 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 at second base. I mean, that's solid right there. There's nothing wrong with Stalin Castro. He's a good player. And they brought in Josh Bell. That was a great trade for them. You know, Josh Bell's a hell of a hitter. He's a good, he's a good hitter. You know, and then again, you, you, you lead the way with, 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 with Juan Soto out in the outfield. I mean, Juan Soto was just, my God, he's on, you know, look, he might be the next guy to get one of those, Fernando Tatis uh, um, extensions. You know, they got Robles. They brought in Kyle Schwarber, who really, he doesn't scare me, Kyle Schwarber. You know, but, but again, the I, Nationals are another team that would benefit from a DH because, I, I mean, seriously, Schwarber, is a, he's a bench player. Where are they playing? Yeah, well, he's playing left field now. <laughs> That's not good. Listen, unless you know, he's he, unless he's going to hit a ton of home runs, he ain't lasting there too, yeah, too long, I'll I mean, tell you that much. Right now, he's play, right now, he's playing left field probably for them, you know, so – I mean, Victor Robles is, a, you know, another guy that had a lot of uh, potential. Hasn't reached it quite yet, but he's a good young player. He's a solid center fielder. And as I mentioned, Soto back there, you know, I, again, you know, you brought up the Phillies. Yeah, I don't know what the Phillies, man, you know. They, look, I tell you, between Nolan and Wheeler, those are two top starters right there, though. So their starting pitching isn't bad. I mean, after Wheeler, though, you have, you know, Zach Eflin, who had some I mean, he had some success here, but I don't know. He's a question mark. Matt Moore, uh, you know, there's question marks over there. Uh, you know, in, in, the, in the outfield, uh, you know, I don't know, Roman Quinn. I mean, you got Bryce Harper, obviously, but Harper didn't really distinguish himself. Got no. a bad back. No, McCutcheon. Uh, McCutcheon. <laughs> over the hill. Uh, yeah, McCutcheon. I mean, you know, they got their young third baseman, Alex Baum. I mean, you know, he's one of their top prospects. Uh, you know, they brought back, they brought back Didi, I think, right? Yeah, they brought back Didi Gregorius. Yeah. So I always like Didi Gregorius, man. But again, their, like bull, their bullpen is just, it's non-existent. I mean, no, yeah. No, but their it, bullpen was a detriment to them last year. And too. they brought in Archie Bradley, but does Archie Bradley really move the needle for you? It I, doesn't, you know, but again, you know, you never know with the volatility. You know, you got a guy like Brandon Kinsler, too, who had some success in the past. I mean, you never know with these guys. It's so weird. Jose Alvarado, Hector Norris. You never know. All of a sudden, these guys come out of nowhere and they freaking have a tremendous, uh, tremendous season come out of the bullpen. It's it's a weird situation with these middle relievers. It's just a, it's so volatile, as I said before. It's crazy. You know, so, you know, we could, you look at the other divisions and I'll tell you that NL central is a mess. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, look, this, this should be saying, you know, the Cardinals uh, division to lose, to be honest with you, because after making that deal for, for Arenado, which was basically a fleece job. I mean, that was just basically a team just saying here, we don't want them. We can't pay them, take them for nothing. And basically the Cardinals gave up nothing. And not only that, but, 
They're paying $60 million of his contract, Rockies, the Rockies, and he's playing for free this year. They're paying his entire $35 million salary this year. Yeah, it's a joke. The Rockies made themselves and then and then listening to the owner speak after the trade, the Rockies made themselves look like absolute jackasses by making that move. Oh God. They look awful. Jackasses. They look terrible. No. Well, terrible. And I no, think I that's know. a that's a huge issue. I think that that Arenado trade is going to be used as a case study in the negotiations next year between the players and the union, where the players say, We want all 30 teams to be competitive. And between what the Rockies did with Arenado dumping him for nothing between the comments that you heard from the Seattle Mariners team president, uh, which resulted in him resigning. Those are going to be two case studies that are brought to the table by the players and saying, we have concrete evidence that you guys are not trying to win and we are not signing an agreement until we put something in place to fix that problem. That's a great point. Yeah, that that's, that's a great point. I mean, look, you're going to be seeing, you know, you, in this division too, Andrew, it's going to be interesting to see what the Cubs are going to do with themselves here. Because it, it, I would have thought Chris Bryant would have been traded by now. And I think they probably waited to see if they can get a better deal than what was offered. But, you know, I don't know if waiting till the trading deadline is going to get you more than what you would have gotten right now for Chris Bryant. Because more than likely, you are not signing Chris Bryant, who's also another Scott Boris guy. Yeah, no, I don't and, think the it, Cub, and the Cubs are going to tear down. They're going to rebuild. The, Cubs are tearing down. You know, look, they probably may, might even have to trade, you know, Anthony Rizzo, who has basically been the face of their franchise since he's gotten there. So listen, I, I think I think from a Cubs perspective, I think as much as it might have been beneficial to trade guys like Hendricks and Bryant right now to maximize your return, I think they are probably willing to sacrifice the assets they got in return just because the NL Central is so weak and they could still compete. I mean, they lost guys and not as talented as they were when they won the World Series a few years ago. But when you look at this division, I mean, Milwaukee, average at best. Cincinnati, Cincinnati. an average team at best who lost their best starting pitcher. The Pirates, I mean, I, I think that Trevor Bauer is making more disgrace. money. The, Trevor Bauer is making more money in year one than the entire Pirates payroll. That's all you need that, to know that's, about that That's team. a disgrace. Yeah. That's what, what, what the Pirates have done is disgrace. That's a disgrace. I don't care what, what kind of pandemic happened last year. What they did is a disgrace. Yeah. So the, the Cardinals are the clear-cut favorites to win that division. But, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Cubs can compete. So I think maybe they're holding on hope and saying, hey, you know, we'll, we'll sacrifice getting more of a return for trading these guys with a year left as opposed to a midseason rental. But we think we can compete in this division. And, you know, we know in baseball, once you get into the postseason, Anything could happen. So that might be part of the reason why they're holding on to guys like that, because they're not bringing back Bryant. I, I, I'd imagine they're, they're not going to – well, they're definitely not going to bring back Hendricks. Baez – They're probably going to trade Contreras. They're probably going to trade Contreras. Contreras is another one. He, yep. He's another one that's probably going to go. Look, they're, they're going to be very active. And I, I, I tell you the truth, you know, a lot of times you don't see this in spring training, but it's possible they might be active before opening day. The right offer comes along, uh, you know, you, you just don't know because, you know, you look at their starting pitching and you got Jake Arrieta you had to bring in. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, really? So, oh, what a beautiful alley-oop there. Rose to Obi Topin. What a beautiful alley-oop. There you go. Oof. There we go. I mean, two weeks. Listen, they came in two weeks early. I had them two weeks. I said I would give them two weeks. <laughs> I mean, that was a beautiful alley-oop, but that's what Obi Topin needs. He needs a facilitator like Derek Rose. I like that word, facilitator. It's a good word. Not too many times five syllables come out of my mouth. <laughs> and, 
and clearly and, and clearly and in the right and, order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're moving on up here. See what a podcast is doing for you. You might be 57, but you're finally getting a good grasp of the English language here. This is what we're doing on the podcast. But, Entertainment, uh, yeah, so, sports, and grammar. Oh, I mean, look, uh, this, you know, we can, we can get into, I tell you that NL West is intriguing, man. Wow. Because what the Padres did this offseason, Jesus. I mean, that's some offseason for them. Yeah. Yeah, they're starting rotating. Now. Obviously, they're going to be Ooh. without Clevenger, but they made the trade for Blake Snell. They already had Denelson Lamette, who I believe came in third or fourth place in the voting for yeah, NL Cy well, Young last season. Yeah, he, he had an injury too that they had a you know he had to stop from pitching. They said, yeah. thank God he did because otherwise he probably would have tore his uh, that UCL. So yeah, so you, know, you got Lamette, listen, you, you got know. Snell, you got Darvish, Paddock. You have Paddock, who's who's a, a big time prospect. They coming brought in Musgrove. They brought in Joe Musgrove. Clevenger probably won't be back this season, but you have him under contract for the season after. Yeah. And don't forget, and they got Mackenzie Gore, Mackenzie one of the Gore. top prospects in all of baseball. Yeah. Mackenzie so, Gore. So, yeah, they're, they're stacked. And, and we know that they can slug. We know yeah. that they can hit top to bottom in that lineup. Between yeah, Batiste brought, and Machado another, and Hosmer. And they brought in another guy that closed for the Pirates for a couple of years, Keone Keller. Yep, Keone you know, Keller. So they brought him in to go along with Melanson, and they got Drew Pomerantz and Emilio Pagan. They're stacked at... They're stacked in a bullpen, and they have an eight hundred and twelve million dollar infield, baby. Yep. With with Hosmer, and they brought in uh, High Sung Kim, and obviously Tatis and Machado. Man, what did you think about that Tatis contract? I tell you, he's he's sacrificing some money down the road, but I mean, when you have a you have a kid who is, was just able to consume his first alcoholic beverage recently, and you offer him, um. What is he getting yearly? Is it $27 million a year? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So to, you offer a kid who, to my age, younger than me, $27 million a year. It's hard to say no. So listen, you take a gamble. You know, they want to buy out the arbitration years. They want to save money down the road. And the player says, hey, you know, instead of making uh, pennies on the dollar my first couple of years in a league, I'm going to maximize my return. I'm going to have the long-term security because, hey, listen, I mean, we don't foresee it. He seems like he's going to be the face of baseball and potentially the best player in all of baseball a few de- few years down the road. But at the end of the day, he is only 22 years old, and that's a lot. That's a lot to invest in a kid that's that young who has so much time ahead of him and, and so many question marks down the road. So it's a gamble for both sides, but I'm not surprised that that deal happened. And, you know, one thing we actually didn't talk about with the Mets before. Well, I want I want to see the reason. Well, well, the, what, the reason why I wanted to get into the Tatis contract real quickly, and then we can get into Lindor with, with his possible extension. But, you know, I, I wanted to get into it because, you know, when Carlos Correa first came up, you know, look, he, you could compare him with Tatis as far as their talent level. You know, think about if the Astros would have signed Correa to that sort of a deal. You know, you look at Correa. You know, he's had some good seasons. But a season in which if the Astros would have signed him to a contract that was almost equal to Tatis, I mean, because if you, you look at you look at Korea, he's missed a hell of a lot of games, with the exception of the of the 2016 season, he's missed a lot of games. 2017, 109 games, 18, 110 games, 2019, 75. And obviously last year he played in the 58 games out of the 60, but you know, he he really, you know, if they would have did the same thing, the Astros, they wouldn't have got much bang for their buck. 
be honest with no, you. No, they'd be they'd be regretting it immediately. And you got to yeah. figure that a guy like Correa, as highly touted as he was, and he's still a, he's still a very solid player, but he's going to be a free agent next year in a shortstop class that could potentially have Francisco Lindor if the Mets don't reach an extension before the season concludes. Right. Marcus Simeon, who only signed a one-year contract. Andrelton Simmons, who only signed a one-year contract. Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Brandon Crawford, Javier Baez. I mean, that's a stacked shortstop class. Stacked. So Carlos Correa is, and, and this is no knock to him, he is going to be the backup to the backup to the backup plan for all these teams in free agency next season. Yeah. So, he, you know, he, he's he's kind of fallen from grace a little bit considering where he was. And and listen, you remember coming up, it was Gleyber Torres, um, Carlos Correa, Ahmed Rosario. I mean, those were the top three dogs coming up through the minor leagues. And yeah. it's safe to say Rosario has been the worst of the bunch Glaber has probably been the best of a bunch, even though he's coming off a bad season. But it just goes to show you these young guys, they have all the tools. They might come up and they might enjoy success right away. But long term, you don't know what could end up happening. I mean, we saw oh. when Jose Reyes was was a young player with the Mets, right? I mean, one hamstring injury and that, that hindered him for about a year and a half. So it, it's so unknown what happens with these young dynamic players who play the middle infield positions. It's a lot of money. Like I said, it's a gamble on both sides. But Listen, that's that kind of deal is going to be now you have a precedent for someone of that stature who's that young and plays that position. Well, you know, it's going to be interesting. Like you brought up the Lindor, what, what it's going to take to, to lock him up now. Francisco Lindor is 27. Um, and, you know, go back to the Tatis. It, that just shows a lot of trust in a player, man. It shows a lot of trust in a player because and a young kid. Because well, listen, we, we, we told yeah. those we would just like spoke about the warning tales. Right. But yeah. I mean, let's be transparent here. I fully expect Tatis to be the best player in baseball for a long time. So he, look, he's I have trusted back. him he, to do it, too. He, he's had had some injuries and especially with his back. So that's, you know, there's where you start worrying about, you know, a, a kid that could be injury prone, you know, especially early in his career where he has a back issue, which kind of he was out for, I think, six weeks uh, or so last year. So, you know, look. As going back to the Francisco Lindor, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to take. You know, are the Mets going to go 10 years with him or they're going to go seven and more money or 10 years, 280 million, 28 million dollars a year? I, you know, I don't know. I what would be the offer. I would I, look, you'd like to see him sign an extension before opening day. I'd love to see them lock up him and Conforto. And I'm hoping to God both get locked up before opening day because you just don't want to see this, you know, ending. Because usually in season, it's it's rare, although Mookie Betts did do it, that these guys do sign extensions when they're coming into their free agent year. So, you know, for, for, for Lindor, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to take to, you know, to lock him up and not bring him to free agency, especially with all these shortstops being out there. And that might be something that, you know what, you have to look at, you know, if, if I'm Lindor and I'm his agent saying, hey, listen, there's going to be a lot of competition out there. You know, let, let's 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 try and solidify something here with the Mets right now. Well, let me ask you a question, okay? I'm going to list these shortstops. Let, you let me know, unbiased. Obviously, we love Lindor, and now he's a Met. We love him even more. But out of all these shortstops, where would you rank Lindor? Lindor, Simeon, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Javier Baez. Out of all those guys, where do you rank Lindor? Well, let's go to it. Simeon, definitely not. Right. I mean, there's too many inconsistencies there with him. He's had only, you know, 
He hasn't had the track record Lindor has. And he's and he's going to be 32. I, I, I like him better than Korea, obviously. Yes. I mean, he's just had better years than Korea. He's a better glove than Korea. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Javi Baez? Yes. Now, hmm. Baez is a year older than, than, than Lindor, but he will be a free agent I, after I, next I probably, season also. You know, that's a tough one because I probably like Lindor still a little bit better. Just the speed factor and everything that he brings you. He just gives you more. I don't know. He gives you more, gives you more tools, Lindor. Trevor's story is an interesting one only because I'm going to be a little... I'm going to be a little dismissive about his numbers only because he plays in Colorado. So I, have I, to be. I let it, let it be known. I think Trevor's story is absurdly overrated. I have, I have I to be absurdly overrated. I don't even think it's a core field thing. I think he's just an overrated player. He's been yeah. ranked on a bunch of lists as the best shortstop in baseball. I'm sorry. I don't see it. Why? Cause he hits some home runs. I, I he's a good yeah, glove. Uh, I don't think he's a tremendous glove. I think he's a good glove and he's got some power. To say he's the best shortstop in baseball, I think, is is like laughable, to be honest with you. I mean, you look at Lindor. He's got power. He's got speed. He's got a platinum glove. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. Right. And again, yeah, he's a Met, so we're not trying. But look, I'll call a spade a spade. You know, we're on a podcast. We're going to be transparent. I'm not just going to say that for the sake of saying it, but you look at all these other guys, and I'm sorry, Francisco Lindor is better than them. That's just the way it is. So the, the, who would you say if you put Lindor at the top, then who are you saying is a notch below him? Are you going with Baez? I probably would go with Baez. Okay, so then here's a hypothetical question for you. If the Mets, and, and, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, I just want to get your take on it because I've heard someone brought up this point on radio, and it's an interesting discussion. If the Mets cannot come to an agreement with Lindor and he hits the free agent market, and he signs somewhere else, but they sign Javier Baez to a seven, eight-year contract, and they lock him up to be their shortstop for the next seven or eight years. Do you consider the Lindor trade to be a bust because they didn't extend him, or are you still happy with the trade and you and you just chalk it up to hey, we tr- just just let's classify it as they traded Jimenez and these guys for Baez instead of Lindor? Like how, how would you? Well, let's let's classify it as they traded. Jimenez and Rosario for Carlos Carrasco and Baez. Right. What's wrong with that? I mean, I wouldn't be upset if they signed Javi Baez and not Francisco Lindor. I like Lindor a little bit better, but I I love Baez. I think Baez is a hell of a player. I think he's tremendous as well. I I think he's a hell of a player, Baez. I love that guy. I just love everything about him. I love his moxie on the field. You know, there's things about that guy that, you know, you just see on the baseball field. He's a tough-ass player, man, which I love. I love that. And he's got great power. He's got a fantastic glove. So uh, I wouldn't be upset if they, if they signed Baez. No, I wouldn't be upset. Right. That wouldn't upset me. As so much I think, as I like Lindor. I mean, I look, think that takes a little bit of the pressure away from the Mets as far as caving into Lindor's requests if they are absurd. And I think that's why it's going to be an interesting discussion between Lindor and his agent because there is so comp- there is some competition on the shortstop market, although right. we say that Lindor yeah. probably has the edge over all those guys. It's probably minuscule when it comes to the top-tier talent. So they need to know that the Mets don't really – it's not like the Mets need to extend him or else this trade no. is a massive bust right. and they need to fire anybody. You know, the Mets can be a little uh, – they could play hardball a little bit here. I'm not suggesting that they do it and completely close him out because I'd love to see Lindor be a Met for a long time. But I don't think there's as much pressure on the Mets as the narrative would state. I mean, you look at Lindor, you know, you, you just you, you just look at, at the games that he's played 
the amount of at-bats that he gets, the numbers that he puts up. I mean, you know, you, you, you're talking about a guy that's had 330 homer-plus seasons. You know, I mean, he, he's stolen over 20 bases twice. You know, he hits 300. He hits 275. I mean, you know, he gets on base. He's got the speed. Like I said, he's got the the, the, the platinum glove. I mean, look, uh, to me, you know, you the Mets have to sign him, and I think they will. I really, really do think the Mets will sign him because not only that, you know, we could look at all the numbers we want, but he could be the face of your franchise along with even Alonzo. He's got an energetic personality. He's got that great smile, you know. And, and I read somebody somebody said something about him that he says, yeah, he'll he'll uh, he'll 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 smile and make you have fun, but at the same time, he'll assassinate you with his bat, you know. So. I mean, that's the type of guy you want. He's he's made for New York, Francisco Lindor. He's made for New York. So um, you could probably argue that Baez is too, though. I I think so. I just I just think Lindor is a little bit more magnetic as far as his personality. I love Baez's moxie. I think Lindor just has a, a magnetic personality. to smile, everything. I think people fall will fall in love with with Francisco Lindor. I really, I, well, really I would argue that they already have. I mean, just oh, yeah, seeing no a picture doubt. of him smiling, walking through the parking yeah. lot, everyone was enamored with him. With his blue dyed hair. <laughs> By the way, so. you see that the uh, the entire spring training schedule, all tickets were sold out in nine minutes. I seen that. Yeah, I seen that. Is that the Stevie oh, Cohen effect, or is that just there haven't been fans at sporting events and everyone's oh, eager to go? That's or is it a combination Steve- of both? That's a Stevie Cohen effect, that's for sure. So, you know, let's finish up with the NL West and we'll go quickly through the uh, through the American League again. You know, the NL West again with the Dodgers, man, who signed Trevor Bauer. I, I mean, could you be any more stacked than the Dodgers, Andrew? I mean, between – it's just amazing. I, look, they got a gigantic payroll. We all know it. But they won the World Series last year, so it's all worth it. You know, and, and then they bring in Trevor Bauer to boot. I mean – and And they were able to bring back Justin Turner. Justin Ooh, Turner looked like he back. might sign elsewhere, yeah. but he ended up coming back. He didn't to want Los to sign Angeles. elsewhere. Justin Turner no, didn't he wanted didn't. to be there. So it, it was beneficial to the Dodgers. And not only that, but they have David Price coming back, who sat out last year. Yes. They have David. So so just think about this for a second. They have Trevor Bauer, which, although he's grossly overpaid, and the, what the Mets were offering was an abomination, also. Uh, he's grossly overpaid, but you have Trevor Bauer, who is a bona fide. I, I would say he's an ace on most teams in the big leagues. Okay. Um, you have David Price coming back, really good pitcher. Walker Bueller, who I think has the potential to be the best pitcher in baseball. Unbelievably underrated. Unbelievable. Unbelievably, unbelievably yeah. underrated. underrated. You have Julio Urias, who, yeah, who if love. you remember correctly, was you could have made a case that he was the MVP in a World Lights Series out last in season. In the World Series. Lights, Lights out, out coming out of the bullpen. They have Tony Gonsolin, who was tremendous last season. Dustin May, who has been their top pitching prospect, who's got electric stuff. Love his arm. I mean, their pitching is as deep as And you as didn't mention Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> right. And I did that on purpose. I did that on purpose. Don't don't worry. I didn't forget about him. I did that on purpose because you look at just how deep that is. And I was going to say, oh, and don't forget, they have one of the best pitchers of our generation, Clayton Kershaw. Hey. And they also brought in another guy who's had a couple of really good years with the Brewers, but he's been coming off of injuries, is Jimmy Nelson. Yeah. You know, Jimmy Nelson could be healthy. I mean, look. So, look, it's just all-world talent there. You know, their bullpen, they still have Kenley Jansen. They brought back Blake Trinan. They brought him in. So, they got got plenty. They even signed Corey Neville. Who's had some saves in in the in the majors with the uh, with the Brewers? So yeah, look, they're stacked. They're, they're stacked everywhere. They're stacked at every position. They got probably arguably the best player in the game in Mookie Betts. 
you know, him and Mike Trout. I mean, look, it's just stacked. Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, Max Muncy. I mean, it goes on and on. Will Smith. I mean, it just goes on and on. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. crazy. So look, San Diego's going to have their work cut out for them to, to try and, you know, win that division. Um, I still think that the, the Dodgers have more talent. Uh, you know, I think the Dodgers have more talent here. Um, but look, did, San did Diego. You, and, and I know you, you mentioned a lot of guys. I don't know if this guy was lost in the shuffle or if you didn't mention him. Did you mention Corey Knable? Yeah, I did. Okay. I said he had some he had some saves in, right, in the, okay. in the, with the Brewers. I wasn't sure. Corey Knable, okay. right? With the Brewers it was. was yeah, with the Brewers. Yeah, the Brewers. yeah, with yeah. the Brewers. And yeah, then I mentioned Corey Knable, yeah. He, he ended up um, getting Tommy John surgery. Right. And Josh Hader burst onto the scene, so everyone forgot just how good Corey Knable how, was how before the was. injury. Right. So Yeah, good point. But, you know, the, only, the, the problem with San Diego is they have such a weak outfield. That's the problem. You know, the, as good as their infield is with, with Machado and, and Kim and Hosmer and, and Tatis, they're just as weak in the outfield. You know, you, you, you're looking at Trent Grisham, Jerickson Profar, Will Myers, who I was never a fan of. No, nope, I was never, either, never no. a fan of his. You know, Cronenworth is, is, is the guy that, you know, people think seem to have some potential. They have Tommy Pham, who had a pretty decent season with, with the Rays, um, but Otherwise, you know, they're, they're a little weak out there. They're a little weak, but you know what? They, they, they could stack up if they stay healthy, they could stack up with the Dodgers, you know, as far as their pitching is concerned. That's for sure. With Darvish and Snell, Lamette, Paddock and Musgrove. That's not so bad. That's not terrible. Even though I'm not the biggest Darvish fan, but look, he's coming off a couple of terrific seasons. So, um, and I think Snell will be even better with the, with the Padres than he was, was with the Rays. He won't have to worry about this analytic garbage. And just to so, let you know, and we're going to get to the AL Central and the AL West. Yeah, because you know you look, well. you look at San Francisco and Arizona. Really, it, it, they're not competing for anything. No, yet. no. But we're going to we got the AL Central and the AL West. But I just wanted to let you know when we conclude, I have a rapid fire. Oh boy, here we go. I'm going to give time. you a couple rapid fire. A big okay. time rapid fire. So, okay. No, so that's right, we'll even that. better. You doing yeah. a rapid, rapid fire for me? Yeah, I, I only had right a, back a quick, to you. Yeah, just a quick rapid fire there. I also want to plug something too before we, we go, but that's we got time. Oh, but anyway, baby. let's let's get into the uh, into the um, AL Central. And I tell you, I know you 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 didn't think they were ready yet, but I, I tell you, I, I think this White Sox team could be dynamic. My only question is, can a seventy six year old Tony Larusa come a big back? Question mark. Yep. You know, if they're not managing for eleven years, come back and manage this team to contention to a title, whatever it may be. Because I tell you what. You look at their, their starting pitching, and it's not that shabby with Giolito. They brought in Lance Lynn. Packle had a terrific year for them last year. They signed him as a free agent. Dylan Cease, who's got talent. Michael Kopich, who's coming back off of, off of arm surgery himself. So, you know, they, they got some arms here in this, in this rotation. So this rotation is, is a little underrated, I think. They brought in Liam Hendricks to close. They gave him $15 million, I think. Well, $45 million, I think it was, right? Over three years, um, they, they gave Hendricks. Yeah, with the capa- with the capability of it being sixty four something 60 over four, something, four because 60. because it's either they pay him fifteen or they if, if they decline his player option, it's still like a fifteen million dollar buyout. So it, it's a boatload of money that they gave uh, Liam Hendricks. Yeah, I mean, and they got some talented outfield, young talent in the outfield with with Eloy Jimenez and Lewis Robeck. Because let me tell you something, those two guys, I tell you what, next five years, those guys are going to be you know. They're going to be MVP candidates, I think, in my opinion. And they even brought Amanda Adam Eaton, which was a nice little signing for them. 
good veteran outfielder out there, you know. And he's been with Chicago before. Yeah, so good he's familiar he's been with, with them. them before. He's familiar yeah. with them. Yeah, of course, they got Jose Abreu, who had just uh, probably the best season of his career last year. You know, so they brought they got Jose Abreu there. I mean, look, they, uh, to me, they should win. They should really win that AL Central. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I don't see the Indians after making the trades. You know, losing Carlos Santana, losing Lindor, losing Carrasco. They still have a good starting staff. You know, and listen, Jimenez might give them some some decent play at shortstop and. Rosario seems like is going to be like a super utility player for them. It seems like I would have to think Jimenez will stop, but they really don't have much offense at all. They brought back Cesar Hernandez to play second base, but I don't know, you know, between losing Santana and especially Francisco Lindor, you know, Cleveland, I can't see, maybe they compete a little bit because of their starting staff, you know, with Bieber and Savali, you know, they have some decent starters there. I mean, Bieber had a terrific year, good pitcher. So I, I don't yeah, see them. Police, I don't act, police see, acts a decent arm too. Police acts a decent arm. I, I just, I don't, I, you know, I could, I could honestly see the White Sox going away with this division because I don't think the Tigers are ready yet. Obviously they're still a young team. The Tigers, not much pitching there. I mean, you know, they're talking about bringing Michael Fulmer back, but who knows what the hell he's going to give them, you know, Spencer Turnbull and Matthew Boyd, you know, good young starters. I mean, you know, you know but, what, Let, let's actually, let's be honest though. Okay. Not that they can compete, but talk about the Royals. They're a pe- they're a pesty bunch. I mean, you look at their lineup, right? They're a small market team, so they're not giving big money anywhere. But they are putting capable major league talent all across the team. I think Hunter Dozier is a really underappreciated bat. Yeah. Whit Merrifield is one of the most underrated Whit players. Merrifield's in the baseball. An underrated player, very good. Absolutely. Hey, look, they they brought in Carlos Santana too. Get Carlos Santana. Base. They pulled off the Andrew Benintendi trade. Andrew Benintendi trade. I tell Jorge, you what, Jorge Soler has really turned into one of the premium power it. hitters in this league. Uh, and they even brought in Michael Taylor. From the Nationals, right? Good yeah. little signing there. So you're right about that. They do have a, a – and they, they even brought in Mike Miner, who was, you know, sort of the pitcher for the last couple of years, Mike Miner. So, you know, their starting staff is in, is in great. Uh, that would be the only thing holding them back. But I think that their lineup day in and day out is, is pretty solid, actually. So uh, I think they'll win some games here. They might be the second-best team in that division, actually, when you look at it. Because, you know, you go on to the Twins uh, – Listen, they're, uh, the Twins are frauds. They're, they're going to win yeah, 85, 90 games, but they're frauds. They, they are frauds. I mean, look, Kenta Maeda had a wonderful year for them last year. Um, Jose Berrios is a good young starter. You know, you have Pineda and J.A. Happ they brought in. So, I, I don't know. I, I agree. They are frauds. They, you know, year in and year out, the Twins are frauds. They're, sometimes they play some really, really good regular seasons. They have some terrific regular seasons, and then – I don't know. And, and then they shit the bed in the playoffs, as always. They brought they brought in Andrew to Andrew to Simmons, who's you know decent bat, but he's a better glove to play short. They'll probably move Polanco over to second base, I'd have to think, at this point. So and they have Miguel Sano there. Um they brought they have Josh Donaldson playing third. I, I don't know. I don't know about that team, Andrew. I still think the Royals are a better team, actually, to be honest with you. I really do. I think the Royals are a better team. I think you're right. I think they'll probably compete maybe second place. In that division, whether or not it gets yeah, they're, a wild they're certainly or... not going to be a team that's going to that's going to roll over. Like I said, no. they're going to be a pesky bunch. Yeah, they're going to be a pesky. Bunch. It's not, you know, you have those teams like the Tigers were in 2019. The Royals even were this team in 2019. Where if you're a premier team in the American League and you're going against them in a three game series, you're looking for a sweep. Anything less than a sweep is unacceptable, right? Yeah. 
yeah. not going to be that anymore. They're going to be a tough no. group to compete against. So, you know, it's not going to be. And I think you're finally going to see the class of the division kind of come out because for the past couple of seasons, while the Royals and Tigers were in this rebuilding phase and before the White Sox had all these prospects coming up and they were still in their rebuilding phase, you had Minnesota and Cleveland both winning 95 plus games, but it was clear that they were not as good as their record said they were. Now no. I think you're going to see who the real Cleveland class might of the have, Cleveland is. might have been. I mean, I don't know if Cleveland was a 95 win team, but Cleveland did have some talent. They had a really good team. They, they did what, have though, a good team. Too. And again, this is not me being biased, but listen, the, the Mets in 2019 played the AL Central. They played the Indians four games. Wasn't impressed with them at all. I wasn't. Wasn't impressed with Minnesota yeah, either. The yeah. Mets handled Minnesota really well too. I wasn't yeah. impressed with any of those teams in that division. I really wasn't. But I was impressed, again, albeit in a 60-game season. We can't put a ton of stock into it. I know I sound like a broken record. I say it all the time. But you really see the potential in this Chicago White Sox team. And they're oh, going to be the boy, force I, to be I reckoned with as the years go on here. I'm enamored with that team. I really, really am. I'm going to keep a close eye on them this year because – they have some wonderful young talent. Even Jan Makata, too, is another kid that's talented. I mean, so they have some some really, really good talent. I have to think that the AL West is, I think, a little wide open here. I'll be honest with you. Well, before you move uh, on to the AL West, I just wanted to bring up one quick point. And this is just me. Again, I, you, don't have to, you don't have to listen to me, but I will make it known. Last year, there was money to be made on the over and the White Sox and Padres win totals because you saw the pieces in place. Now that they hit those overs last season and everyone's jumping aboard the train, I would look at maybe hitting those unders this time around because all the hype is surrounding them this year. It is, but, you know, and, and uh, you know, look, sometimes it doesn't live up to the hype, but when you have that sort of talent and you stay healthy, I, I, you know, I could see them hitting their numbers. I really, really do. I could see them hitting their numbers. I really do. Unless again, unless, you know, you have devastating injuries. I mean, so I well, can see the, well, them the, numbers. the Padres, I think would be a little bit more dicey because of the fact that although the Dodgers in their division, the other three teams, Colorado, San Francisco, Arizona are terrible. So they could hit that total, but Chicago, I mean, we just spoke about how underrated the Royals might be. The twins still have some pieces and talent there. The Indians with the pitching that they have, they seem to crank out pitchers all the time. So even though they can't hit, I guess you can't really count them out from being a, a 500 ish team. So it might be tough for them to hit the total. Cause I think if I'm not mistaken, the total is at 91 and a half, which is it's, it's a big number for the Padres for, for Chicago. Uh, the white actually that you know you, you look at the uh, the Pakota Pakota projections they got the White Sox at eighty three wins. Yep. And listen, I mean, not that I agree with Pakota, they seem to be on the money, but this year was a little puzzling. They had the Braves uh, coming in third in the NL yeah. East. They 85. had the Card and they had the Cardinals going eighty and eighty two in that basement of a National League Central that we have. So it was a little puzzling puzzling their projections this year. But they actually, I can see where they're coming from with Chicago. Pakoda actually has the Nationals projected to win more games than the Braves. Yeah. And where they had the Mets at, 96 wins, right? They have the Mets at, yeah. Which is crazy, yeah. to be honest with you. That's crazy. crazy. I, I'm excited about the Mets, but I'm not going as far as saying that they're winning 96 games. I won't they go that the far. They got the Brewers winning 80, 89 games. They got the Brewers winning. I don't Listen, you, you don't know. The Brewers, look, the Brewers do have a good lineup, but I don't know. I, I, I just... I feel like it's the Cardinals division to lose. I'll be honest with you. I think they just have better pitching, but we'll see. I mean, listen, we'll see how it plays out, but you know, you, you, you go to the, uh, to the, to the uh, AL West 
And is this year where finally maybe Mike Trout gets into the playoffs? Or I mean, the you know, door is open for them to finally do it. Yeah, door's open. Because I'll tell you the truth, the Mariners and the Rangers, I don't see them doing anything. I, I don't see either team even competing in that division. I really don't. The well, A's, they especially, compete. especially since, according to the uh, Mariners team president, their prospects aren't coming up anytime soon. <laughs> what a disaster. What a dope. See, what, you, you, get, you get a little lick it up at a Rotary Club and what comes out of your mouth. What a dope. Yeah. But, you know. But, no, I agree I, with you. I, Mariners and Rangers, I don't see going anywhere. The athletics, you know, they're always again they're they're a they're a pesky bunch that even though they don't have a ton of high profile names, they seem to always get it done. So I'm sure they'll be in the mix. Uh, the Astros losing Springer again, that's a big blow. Pocota, what's, the, Pocota, what's the status of Verlander with the Astros too? Yeah, coming off the Tommy John. Yeah, so so he won't be there. They actually have the Astros winning 93 games. It seems crazy. 93 games, the Astros. Like I said, a, a lot of people, that seems to be gospel, Pakoda. But this season, their projections were, were really puzzling in a, in a bunch of different areas this year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is it's puzzling. interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So, I mean, I, I, I tell you the truth. You know, I, I'm always one to say whenever there's a close division, there's a couple of teams up top that are close. I usually I usually go with the team that has just the better starting staff and a better bullpen. And at this point right now, I mean the Angels staff don't look terrible with Dylan Bundy and if Otani's healthy, if Heaney can give them anything, I, you know, I don't know. Jose Quintana, I mean, they have some major league depth there with Alex Cobb, but you know, not nobody great depth there. I just don't know what Houston's going to do. Um Without Berlin today, I mean, you still have Granky, who's not the same pitcher anymore, but he could pitch. McCullers, you know, Frambo Valdez, uh, you know, it's just uh, Jose Akiti could be a, a dark horse here. So I don't know. I mean, losing Springer in your lineup, and I'll tell you the truth, Altuve the last couple of years hasn't been fantastic. He didn't have a, again, shortened season, but. I mean, could he be on a decline a little bit, Jose Altuve? I mean, you have Bregman, you got Korea coming into free agency. After that, is Kyle Tucker the prospect that they thought he was going to be? You know, is he is he that guy? Now nah, looks mean, like look, looks uh, like their top guy now is probably Jordan, Forrest Whitley. Forrest Whitley, yeah, but he's had some issues. I love Jordan Alvarez, by the way. That guy he's, I love. He's a power. That power. guy's a beast. He's a beast. That guy's a beast. So. All right, so uh, all right, so you have rapid fire for me. I was just going to give you a couple of easy rapid fires, nothing crazy. But all right, so mine's a little bit more in depth. So shoot yours towards me first. I was basically just going to say two teams in AL, um, two teams in AL, two teams in NL. Give me two teams that you think will play better than what people expect, and two teams that will probably disappoint. And the AL and the NL. Okay, so in the NL a team that I think is going to play better than people expect. Um, I guess I'd have to go with the Cardinals, right? I mean, based on those projections with Pakoda, uh, I think that they're the class of the division. And I, I, I mean, just based on the division they play in, this might sound like a hot take. I wouldn't be surprised if this, if the St. Louis Cardinals won close to a hundred games, I really wouldn't. I mean, look at who they're playing 19 times a year. You're playing 
the Pirates 19 times a year, which really realistically should be 15 I think or 16 the Reds, wins. I just think that the Reds are a little bit better than what we give them credit for because they do have Louis Castillo, Sonny Gray. They do have some decent starters, even though they did lose Bauer. And their lineup's not horrendous, to be honest with you. It's really not that bad. I mean, but they're, good young they're, player, another, Votto, they're another lineup kind of like the Yankees, though, a feast or famine type lineup. But yeah. they're not on the same level as the Yankees. They're lesser of lesser in talent. Right. You know, and you also can't bank on who might start selling off early. You, you, you never know, especially in, in this sort of uh, uh, um, environment that we're in now. The, all these teams that were losing money over the past couple of years, of last year and a half now coming off this whole pandemic. Again, you're probably not going to see a lot of fans in the stands. I'm thinking maybe by July, maybe we'll get to 35, maybe even 50% in the stands, which will help out some owners. So you don't know who's selling off between the Cubs and the Reds. It could That AL Central could look even worse, Andrew, in the next couple of months. If the Reds decide to sell off Suarez, Sonny Gray, and the Cubs decide to you know, trade off Rizzo and Contreras and Bryant and Baez, so, all right, so the Cardinals, they are a team that you expect to be better, even though we had them winning the division, but the projections only had them with 81 wins. Yeah, yeah, I, I do expect, I, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they won close to 100 games. I really wouldn't. And that's not, I think that speaks more about the, the, the division they play in rather than them, because I wouldn't say that they're a 100-win team. But, um, and by the way, one of my favorite pitchers to watch coming back off an injury this year, Jordan Hicks, who is just electric. Oh, yeah, he's electric. He's electric. Love him. Uh, and then a team that I think is going to take a step well back. they got a great bullpen because they even got Gallegos coming out of that bullpen Gallegos is a good them. piece yep Gallegos is a good piece where they actually got from the Yankees yep so you know he's a good piece too Gallegos so they got a good solid nucleus in the bullpen very good arm yep <clears throat> and then you want a team from the NL who I think won't perform as well, well I as want two teams think. in NL and two teams in AL that's going to be better and two teams that are going to disappoint. Oh, two teams each. Okay, yes, okay. Yes. So yes. another team in the NL that I think is going to be better than people think. Um, well, listen, I, I think I'll go with the Braves too. I think a lot of people are on the Mets bandwagon just because new ownership and all the excitement surrounding it, pulling off the trade for Francisco Lindor. They've upgraded tremendously in all those areas like I spoke of before. So the Mets offseason was a resounding success, but I still think the Braves are a notch better than them. I mean, we spoke about the pieces they have before. Acuna. Albies, uh, Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Zuna, Christian Pache, who I think is a candidate for rookie of the year. Um, you know, Johan Camargo, good depth coming off the bench. Austin Riley's a good bat. Darno has really found himself in Atlanta. They add Charlie Morton to the rotation. They got solid pieces in the bullpen. So I really think that the Braves are still going to be the favorites to win the, the NL East. And listen, I hope the Mets make the playoffs. I'll be rooting for them the whole way, but don't be surprised if the Braves are a 95 win team and they win the NL East again. I, I, that's yeah, just the I way just, I feel. I, I don't see where that projections come from, Picard. I really don't with the 82 wins, man. I yeah. think that's crazy. I think that's crazy. All right. So two teams that's going to maybe play, play down to what their projections are in the NL. Well, one, the Washington nationals. I know I kind of, made a hot take before saying that they're not going to be in contention. I don't think that they're going to be close to contention. I just look at it this way. You can't count on Steven Strasburg, right? The injury last season coming off the surgery. You just can't count on him. At some point, are you going to see Max Scherzer regress a little bit? I'm not suggesting that it's definitely going to happen. Well, we've seen it last season in a shortened season. You saw him take a step back a little bit, yeah. right? So he's a polished professional and, you know, Scherzer on his C minus game is better than most guys on their A plus game. 
but you do have to be wary of that. He's not going to put the entire team on his back anymore. I don't know if he's the same. He has that bulldog mentality, but I don't know if the talent is still there. And Patrick Corbin, you know, I know you said before that he might not be an ace. He might be a number two. I got to tell you, I've never liked Patrick Corbin. I think he's a very average pitcher. Uh, And I've said this, I've had conversations with my father before. If I was a manager of a baseball team, and I might've said this on a podcast before, if I was a manager of a team, I would literally tell my guys, if we were facing Patrick Corbin, I'd say, listen, my job is on the line tonight. Do what I ask. And if it doesn't work, I'll face the, I'll face the music. Go up there. Don't swing the bat. Don't swing the bat. Patrick Corbin doesn't throw strikes. He yeah, never he has. Strike zone, he never yeah. will. Yeah. He does not throw the ball in yeah. a strike zone. If you went up there with any semblance of plate discipline, he would walk the ballpark. It's yeah. just simple. I've never been in love with his stuff. So, you know, I, I, the bottom line is he's been a very effective pitcher because people don't seem to have any plate discipline and he gets people to fish for those off-speed pitches down in the zone. But I've never been enamored with him. Uh, John Lester's a guy that's over the hump, but, you know, guys like Austin Voth, Joe Ross, not very good pitchers. All right, so give um, me a second team that you think is going to play below to what their projection is. Below what their projection is. And the Nationals um, are projected to win 85 games. Right, yeah, so that's definitely a team I see taking a step back. Um, uh, Brewers, I mean, besides Christian Yelich, who do they have? Who do they have? Uh, Ryan Braun, not there anymore. I believe Ryan Braun's still a free agent, if I'm not mistaken. No one signed him. Um a couple years ago, when they finally made their run to the postseason, they lost in the NLCS to the Dodgers. You look at all the guys they had that they no longer have. Uh, Davies, starting pitcher, no longer there. Um, Eric Thames, big-time left-handed power bat, not there anymore. Mike Moustakas, not there anymore, right? Do you see all these guys? Orlando Arcia never panned out to what was expected of him. Lorenzo Cain, 35 years old. I mean, I just mm. don't see the talent there on that Brewers team to be able to to, to win that division yeah, yeah. And, and be a championship contender. Now, look, similar to what I said with the Cardinals, with the division that they play in, yeah, I could see them being in contention and being an 80-plus 80, 80 win team. But that projection, I think, is way too high, and I, I think the Cardinals run away with that division. I think okay, the Brewers so now give are me, a very pedestrian team. Give me two and two in the uh, American League. Give me two that you think will play above their projections. Um above their projections well one we said before Royals I mean you, they just got a, a lot of capable major league talent on that roster from top to bottom they're, they might not make the playoffs I'm not saying that they're a serious contender but Royals I can see them 70, being a good team Royals are at 71 win total I, I tell you the truth in that division I tell you I, I would bet that seems like a good over over there yeah to me I mean, look at the players that we named before. I'm not going to go through them yeah. again, but all the players we named before, that's a capable major league group. I think to yeah, say that, that team is going to lose 90 games, I think is is very overstated. So It is. Okay, and then give a me second a second team. one now. Uh, what was Tampa's projection? Well, Tampa was actually projected for uh, 86 wins. So, I mean, I guess you can never discount Tampa, you, you, you know, but look, I mean – you look at Tampa, they, they, they lose Charlie Morton and, and, uh, and, and Blake Snell, and they basically replaced him with, with nothing. They re- Michael Walker, you know, Chris Archer they brought back, who came off the thoracic uh, outlet syndrome surgery, and we've seen what happened with Matt Harvey with that. Yeah. So, you know, you're going with basically Tyler Glasnow and a bunch of question marks. Ryan Yarbrough, uh, they brought in Rich Hill. You know, yeah. so I don't know. I, you I know what? Know. I'm going to go with the Louis Astros. Patino is a kid that they got from the Padres who has a lot of upside, but, you know, he's got to, you know, he's, he's got to learn how to control. So I'm going to go with the Astros. 
Listen, over the past four or five years, they could sleepwalk their way to the AL West title. Well, uh, the Astros are, are 93 wins now. Right. I see that. I see that going under. I really do. Could they okay. win the division? Yeah. Could they make the playoffs? Yeah. But again, it's not going to be a runaway like people expect. They did lose some pieces. The rotation is such right, a So wait, you have Kansas mark. City, but you have Kansas City going over the mark. We needed a second one to go over their projection. You gave me Kansas City. Oh, I only gave you one from the American League to go over. Yeah, right. I needed oh, a second okay. one before we get into the Astros. Okay, so put that to the side for now. Astros yeah. are my first team for under. Yeah. Another team to go over the projections. Um, hmm. I think it's an I think it's an obvious one. Over the in my projections. opinion. I mean, according to what Pakoda has. That's a tough one. Uh, what was what? What did they have Chicago at? Eighty-three. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 an easy one for me. Then. Yeah. Again, I I don't I I think they're still a, a little bit away from maybe competing for a championship, but to win. But again, 83 you look games, at you look at not so much a championship, but you, again, you look at that division. That's a winnable division. It's a winnable division. You're playing, yeah. You know the the Royals, Tigers, Indians, and Twins nineteen times. That's that's seventy six games you're playing right there. Well, put it this way: I think they're the favorite <laughs> to win a division, and I don't think any team is is winning a division with eighty three wins. They have to go over the mark in order to win a division. So right. just by that logic alone, I, I like them going over that. Right. So that's 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 a good pick. For All right, me. So you gave you gave us the Astros to go under the projection. Who's the second team now? To go under the projection. Um. All right, then that's why I asked you about. Uh, that's why I asked you about Tampa too. I think. Well, Tampa was eighty six. Yeah. Yeah, I think that loss of of Blake Snell is just humongous, and um, again, there's only so many times. You know what? Just, I agree. There's only so many times you could do with smoke and mirrors because Tampa does it like that every year. And right. At some point, it does catch up with you, up to you once in a while. Now they look. They have an old world talent, probably the best prospect in baseball, in uh, in Wanda Franco, who probably maybe wind up coming up this year. And, you know, so, but for the most part, I mean, how much more could you do this with smoke and mirrors with Tampa? No, piecing, it's not. It's together not, a, it's a not starting staff with bullpen guys. It's not sustainable. It, right, really it doesn't isn't. seem sustainable, but who knows? We could have egg in our face, but all right. So that'll end my, my little uh, rapid fire. So now all what right. do you got? So I got a lot more than you do, but we'll run okay. through them quick. And at least winner, go. Oh, you put me right in the spot over uh, here. Listen, Come this on, is why we call a rapid fire. It's scorching. It's scorching. Oh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna make me say the Mets. I'm not making you I, say anything. It was an honest question. I'll be honest with you. Only because I'm concerned about the Met bullpen and I am concerned about their defense still. I'm still concerned. I'm sorry. I we gotta play Brandon Nimmo in center with with uh Dominic Smith in left and JD Davis at third. I think. I think that could be a disaster. I don't know. I just, I did. I think it could be a disaster. But I hate to say, I'm going to go with the Braves. NL Central. I think I know your answer, but Cardinals. Yeah. Okay. NL West. Yeah, it's going to be the Dodgers. AL East. The Yankees. AL Central. White Sox. AL West. Boy, boy, the AL West is interesting because, you know, only because. He deserves it, man. I'm going to say the Angels. Let's go. Mike Trout, get him in the playoffs. All right. Angels, Angels to win the West. So so assuming we don't have expanded playoffs and we have the regular wild card playoff game, uh, play-in game, who are your two wild cards from the National League? Oh, it would be the Mets. 
and the Padres. Okay. AL. This one's a little bit tougher. A little bit tougher. I'm going to go. I mean, boy, oh, boy. I'm going to go with the Blue Jays. I just think the, I think the Blue Jays still, I, I think they have enough. I really do. I think they have enough. I, I, part of me don't want to say this team, but I'm, I'm just going to because I just feel like push comes to shove to have a pedigree, and that would be the Astros. Okay. I figured you were going to go in that direction. Yeah. So Minnesota's on the outside looking in. Yes. I wouldn't disagree with you. Like I said, I think they're frauds. Okay. I just think they have a pedigree to the Astros. I, I just think they do. Okay. Now this one's a little bit more in depth. Give me a player. National League, American League, doesn't matter. Give me one player that you expect to really burst onto the scene this season. Oh. So you're talking a rookie or you're just saying a guy that... A rookie could be a young player that hasn't necessarily panned out yet. Could just be a guy who's a decent player, but you really think he could blossom into a superstar. Maybe a guy who has been really good, but just has, hasn't gotten the national recognition they deserve. You know, someone along those lines that you oh, really man, expect that is... everyone's going to be talking about as a star this year. Oh, boy, oh, boy. A star. Besides a... Luis Guillorme. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, we got one guy here in New York. And... Look, we, we spoke about him not being a great, but I think Dominic Smith, I'm not saying a superstar, but I think Dominic Smith uh, is a terrific hitter who, if he gets enough playing time, might get some MVP votes. How's that? But as far as burst onto this scene, I mean, he's, he's kind of bursted onto the scene already. But I just think that the talent led of, of Ronald Lacuna has another level to go to. Yeah, I, you I know just, what? And we've I talked about this. A, we've I talked think he's about got this a before. Whole level, man. I really do. We've talked about this with been. our good friend Tommy Lochran. He, as much as he has superstar capability, he's still got a hint of Oduble Herrera in his game where he can hurt Oduble you. I don't know about Herrera. Maybe you say Andrew Jones, where, you know, maybe Andrew Jones was the type of guy that flamed out when he was 29. But I think of Acuna. Well, I think of Herrera in the sense where he could still make some boneheaded plays that will hurt you. But if he eliminates those, his superstar talent is so good that he can take his game to another stratosphere. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I, I, listen, I, I'm going with a couple of guys here because I got to go with my guy, Dominic Smith, because that guy's been underrated, terrific hitter. Terrific well, hitter. I'll, but I'll, I, put it, I'll put it to you this way. I think if, if going into this season – if, if you took Pete Alonso out of the equation and you said Dominic Smith was penciled in to be your everyday starter at first base, I think he'd be in the gold glove discussion, which would elevate his stature to a whole nother level. His bat speaks for itself. And I, I, I would agree with you that he could possibly get some MVP votes. I think he's that good of a player. I really do. I agree with you there. Yeah, I, I really, really do. I, I feel that way about Dominic Smith. I really do. I'm really, I mean, that kid's made some unbelievable strides and you know, we had the sleep apnea problem. So so yeah, I'm gonna go with Acuna only because I just feel like Acuna man. It could just he could just take it to that next level. I mean, we've seen the talent. We really, really have seen the talent. There's no doubt that we've seen the talent. As far as another guy to to bust onto the scene, 
I'm going to go with a, a, a young, young guy. And I'm going to go with Gavin Lux. He's been on your radar for a while. Gavin Lux has been on my radar, man. He's been on my radar. I mean, I think that kid could bust onto the scene. I think he could be the type of kid that, look, <laughs> do the Dodgers need another all-world talent, you know, coming out of their, their minor league organization? I mean, you're looking at guys like him. You could even say, for that matter, Dustin May. <laughs> Julio Urias. I could I can give you three guys on the Dodgers that might bust out onto the scene. Yeah. I mean, we've seen Urias was talented. We knew that from a couple of years back, but we've seen what he could do in that World Series. You know, but you know, you got a guy like Dustin May also. I mean, and then you know, you you, you look at the American League and you could even look at uh, um uh, the two White Sox kids, Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, because I think those two guys are dynamic talents. Yep. Dynamic dynamic talents i really really do so those are two more guys there i mean even tim anderson on that team jesus christ i mean how about tim anderson yeah they got a ton of talent yeah. ton, ton of, of talent. talent there's just a ton of talent All right, and his... again you know one one more guy too like as i mentioned i know he really was a dh for them but jordan alvarez tremendous bat tremendous power i love that kid so, so here's another question guy. for you guy who had a good 2020 that is going to regress greatly this year. Oh, that's a tough one, man. So someone who you thought maybe had a fluky season because it was, it was a shortened one. A fluky season, man. I have to think about stats now. Wow. This is a tough one. See, I, I don't come with any, any layups here. You know that. This is a tough one. So he had a he had a very very good shortened season. All right, you know what that that might even right, be wait, a little too specific. What? Maybe you, you just a guy something? who a lot of people are talking about that you don't think is that good and you think will regress. Doesn't need to be specific to the pandemic shortened season, but someone that you expect to take a step back because you don't think he's all that. There's a kid that gets a lot of hype and he's gotten a lot of hype since he's been a rookie and his father played in the major leagues that I'm not quite sure if this kid's going to be what they expect him to be. And he came into training camp. He lost 20 pounds. They're actually taking him off at third base to put him at first. And that's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Look, there's a lot of hype with that kid, man. There is a ton of hype. And I don't know if this kid's going to put it together. You know what? I wasn't thinking of him. That's a really good one. That's a really yeah. good one. I'm a little hesitant on that, too. I, he certainly got a lot of power, but he has the ability to be dynamic, and he's a big name, obviously, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but I, I think you got a and, point there. And, and the other kid... There was another kid, only because I know I had him on a couple of my fantasy baseball teams, but Keston Yura on, on, on Milwaukee came up with a lot of, you know, he was their top prospect, had a really, really good solid 2019, took a big step back last year, and now they're actually moving him off the second because they brought in Colton Wong, and they're moving him to first base. He could be another kid that could be disappointing, and he was one of their top prospects. So there could be another kid there, but that that's, man, that's a good question, boy. That's a real good question. Here's another one for you. 
and we'll wrap it up with this one. What players got the most to prove in 2021? Pete Alonzo. I like that. That's another good one. I'll, I'll stay. I'll stay home with that one. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest because we had this argument over text about him and Matt Chapman. When I asked you, would you trade Pete Alonzo for Matt Chapman? And by the way, Matt Chapman was number 23 on the MLB top 100 list. And Pete Alonzo was 66. Not, Not that that means anything, but good for them. Matt, Matt Chapman is regarded highly. Pete Alonzo, I think because he, he came in rookie of the year, hit the 52 homers dynamic first season. And last year I seen a bad regression. And again, I know I'm not going to be hypocritical. I did say it. I said, all right, it's a shortened season. So we do have to give him a chance here. You know, we've we got to give him a chance. So um, I'm going to say Pete Alonzo, because I think he's got a hell of a lot to prove here. I really, really do. Don't, you know, I, we've seen a lot of guys, you know, go one, one year and out, you know, especially sluggers. I don't want to see Pete Alonzo, you know, especially with a, you know, in, in a, in a supposed dead ball now this year. I don't want to see Pete Alonzo with, with 30 homers and hitting 225, striking out 200 times. I don't need to see that. So I think he's got a hell of a lot to prove this year. And you know, look, he, you know, he arguably, with the exception of maybe Lindor now, who just came over, but because he's a homegrown talent, Alonzo's the face of his team. I don't say DeGrom so much, only because Alonzo's out there a lot more. DeGrom's more in the background. But Alonzo is kind of the face of his team. So I'm going to go with Pete Alonzo here. Like I said, that's a good one. He's got a lot to prove in the eyes yeah. of a lot of people. I even argue that in a lot of Mets fans' eyes, Dom Smith has kind of surpassed him. Surpassed him. And look, I, I think I told you this. A few months ago, I was reading an article about, uh, I think it was eight talent evaluators in the National League. Um, and they all pretty much said that as much as they loved Alonzo's power, that in the long run, Dom Smith's swing and his his hitting skills will play out to a better career than Pete Alonzo. So interesting to say. And I, I tell disagree. you, again, I love Dom Smith, man. I, I tell you, I really, really, I'm expecting big things from that kid. I just hope he gets in the lineup enough. I don't want to see him in a platoon. That kid should be playing every day because that kid, he could hit lefties, Andrew. He could no, he could. He could hit everybody. And he's a doubles. He's like a Justin Turner. He's a doubles machine. Extra base hits galore. Yeah, he's a doubles machine. And I, and, and I think as he gets more playing time and, and uh, more experience and more at-bats, that's going to translate into more power for him, too. Uh, it really, yeah. really is. So, you know, you look at a kid like that, he's, he's got 35, 40 doubles and 20 to 25 homers written all over him. He's got written all over him. And I'll be honest with you, if he was a first baseman, He'd really be an MVP candidate because he could be a gold glove there at first base. Yeah, he really could. He could. He, he could be a good go, a gold glove there, Andrew. So look, uh, we'll see. You know, we'll we'll see. But that's yeah, that was it. How did I do? All right, not too I bad. I think listen, those were tough questions. They I were mean, tough questions. I like. I don't come with any layups, but I think you you lived up to the billing. I think you did a great job. Yeah, Admirable. I mean, listen, I went. I'll give you a round of applause for that. It's easy. It's easy to say because people go, "Oh, you went with Pete Alonso," but you know what? If I'm looking at things, yeah, Pete Alonso has a lot to prove to me coming off of last season after what he did the season before. I need to see something now. He needs to take – he needs to make the same adjustment that the pitching in the league has made to him now. So, we'll see. So, so what are you looking for? Like, what what stat line would you look at and say, okay, he, he proved me something? Well, I think, I think if he goes anywhere from 35 to 40 homers – Gives me a 270 average with a 390 on base percentage, 380 on base percentage. I mean, 
I think that would be that that would prove it to me. I don't want to see 240. I don't want to see 200 strikeouts. You know, I don't want to see that. That I don't want to see. Look, I, I guess I, you, we're going to take some strikeouts with him, but he needs to cut down on it because I tell you the truth. He he at times he was looking like a Madrazario up at the plate where he had no clue what the strike zone was last season. He was swinging at everything and anything. And you know what happens? And this happens all the time, but you remember last season, the Mets specifically, they had the highest, they had the best offense in baseball, highest batting average, right? But once the runners were in scoring position, they became the worst offense in baseball. And who was in the biggest slump all season long? Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso. And, and who was the player who always came up with runners in scoring position? Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso. Yeah, so, and he was unable to put the ball in play for a good, a good portion of the time. So that yeah. hurt. So he yeah. definitely needs to cut down and be more effective. Just put the 100%. ball in play. Good things can happen. 100%. So and the Knicks are down 11 right now to the Warriors. So look at this. He had a shot for 500. He got fans in his stands. All right, the game's not over yet, but. Uh, you know, I was looking at uh, at maybe taking a trip down to the Garden on Friday. I have to work, unfortunately, so I wouldn't be able to make it. Well, but I, the tickets I, were I, expensive, uh, too. I, I was looking at – I was actually looking at those tickets, but, you know, I, I was – some guy called up on Boomer and Geo today, and he was talking about the protocol because he had tickets. He's got season tickets. He's actually got a box in the Lexus, uh, in the Lexus suite for the Rangers. And he said what he did was uh, he had the option. And, you know, if you have money, you can do this. It costs $130 per kit, but they, they FedEx you a home kit where you could do the test yourself. Okay. And then you, you drop it off at a UPS office or FedEx office, whatever it may be. And by then, by like he said, he did the test today. He said he's guaranteed to have the results emailed to him no later than Friday morning. So he, he would get the results emailed to him. And then he could either, you know, I guess, leave it on your phone and they could scan it when you get to the garden. Or you could send it to Madison Square Garden itself and they get confirmation of your, of your negative test. And then right. you'd be able to enter the building. And you can go in the building. I think he said his tickets were like $280 per ticket. And then he was able to order food because he's in a luxury box. And I think they have a couple of, I think you could order food to your, to your seat. And are you looking around, you pan around MSG now during a game and you can see just people scattered all over the place, but at least their people are not cardboard cutouts, which is. Yeah. There you go. It's stepping uh, the right direction. Uh, yeah, at it least. was very good. So I just, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to plug uh, um, this, this, uh, this Twitter site that I go on. And I think I was telling you that I do these, uh, these random card breaks that I got into. Yep. I started getting into them. And ever since the pandemic hit back in March, April, you know, the, the, the trading card industry has exploded, exploded. So I got hooked up through a friend of mine and, and my nephew uh, uh, on, on this Twitter site where they do these random card breaks. And I'll tell you, Andrew, you would get into it. You would love it. So I, I kind of want to give it a little bit of a plug because it's been so much fun for me. I've been doing it for about two months now. The guy's a really, really good guy, and it's all legit. And I'll tell you what, he's got an excellent reputation. Um, your cards get shipped out to you real fast. And basically what you do is he'll send out, he'll send out a notification on Twitter, right? You get the notification. Now he'll have uh, – he does baseball, he does basketball, and he does NFL. But he does all, like, top-notch boxes of cards that he, that he buys into. So let's say like the, the better that the card could be within that box, the, the more it'll cost you per team. So what he'll do is say like for the NFL, you have 32 teams, he'll have 16 people in there. So you could buy in sometimes it, it's like $40 a team. It could be right. So let's say 
he he actually locks up four teams that you can't take. You can't take the Bengals because of Burrow, the Chargers because of Herbert, the Eagles because of Hurts, and the Dolphins because of Tua. So nobody could put in for those. But as soon as he sends out the notification, it's first come first serve basis. Okay. You tweet him. You tweet him what team you want. Now basically you're going to want teams like the Colts because they have to have Pittman, they have Jonathan Taylor. You know, maybe, uh, well, they got Wednesday now, but Jacob Eason, you want teams like, uh, you know, like uh, um, um, uh, the, the Packers, A.J. Dillon maybe coming around. So you want you, you want to try and get maybe the Vikings to get a Justin Jefferson. You're trying to nail like the, the top cards, you know. And then what you do is after after he fills up the 16 teams, then what he does is he, he goes to a live, it's live footage. He does it over his, over his Twitter um Twitter site or whatever you guys call it, Twitter, whatever. And he goes yeah, live. Like a, like a Twitter live video. Yeah, a yeah. Twitter live video, right. It's a Twitter live video. He goes live and you could broadcast with him. You could, you know, text talk to him and he'll respond to you verbally because he'll see what you're texting and everything. And you'll see it. And he'll do, he'll do random rolls of the dice on his computer. And he'll situate everybody in a position. Depending upon where you came up, he does like seven rolls of a dice on the computer. And then he'll... He'll randomize the teams that were left over that weren't picked, including the four teams that were locked. So you can possibly get lucky and get one of those four teams that were locked and pull a Burrow or a Herbert. Some of these cards are going for $250, dollars $500. I pulled your, a Herbert. I pulled your entry the Herbert is the other, like $40, right? You, right. And your entry is like $40. So you try and nail those guys. And he does it with baseball and he does it with basketball. I asked him if he did it with hockey, but he doesn't say he doesn't. He doesn't really know much about it. So he doesn't really do the hockey in a... Sure, it's not as popular, but the baseball, the basketball, and the uh, and the football is very popular. So it's a lot of fun. And so if anybody's interested, I just want to give him a quick shout out. His Twitter handle is at DJ Shrum, DJ S-C-H-R-U-M, and a number two. At DJ Shrum with the number two. And his site is called budget underscore breaks. STL. It's budget underscore breaks STL. Real good guy, real good reputation. You'll never have to worry about not getting your cards. Basically, he'll do a break and I'll have those cards like three or four days later shipped to me. You know, so he ships everything himself and he ships everything himself. Yeah, he's got a couple of people. He does it right out of his basement. So it's pretty cool. I think he lives in St. Louis. He's a big pack of fan, you know, Cardinal fan. St. Louis Cardinal fan and everything. So uh, like I said, real good guy, real good reputation. I wouldn't give him a shout out if I didn't trust him or trust the, uh, trust the site itself. So yeah, he sends him out. He sends him out a nice, uh, nice envelope, like a nice uh, cushioned padded envelope and your cards are, are top loaded. If they're good cards, he puts them, puts them in a top loader, like the plastic top loader piece right, right. to protect them. And it'll put like the regular cards in a, in a, in a plastic sleeve. And then he'll, he'll, uh, He'll tape them around like two pieces of cardboard to protect them. So, and basically whatever team you get, you get that team's card. So whoever you may, whoever it may be, you know, you could pull a big time Tom Brady. If you took the Buccaneers, you could pull like a Tom Brady that that came out like a mosaic Tom Brady, it's called or something that could be worth some money and Tom Brady in a Tampa uniform. So if you pick the Buccaneers, you would get that card. You would get any card affiliated with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. So it's pretty, it's, it's really, really cool. Would check it out if anybody's interested in uh in in trading cards and maybe starting to collect because I tell you it's a big market now so I'm kind of glad I got into it like I said I've been doing it for a couple of months and I kind of get excited with some of these breaks because it's really cool and he'll open up the packs 
right in front of you on the live feed. All the packs get open, shows you the cards. And then if he gets like a, you know, he always gets a few big time cards coming out of a box and we call it a break, but it'll come out of the box, coming out of the break. And he's got a Terry Bradshaw heater blanket. You would like that, Andrew, being a Steeler fan. Big time. He's got a he's got his he's got two big time Terry Bradshaw heater blankets, he calls them. It's a Terry Bradshaw card that's taped to a piece of cardboard. And he uses that to cover the big the big cards, like the big oh, like to make like it suspenseful for everybody. To make it suspenseful. Okay. Yeah, he'll, yeah. So he wants to make it a little suspenseful. So it's really cool and it's like I said, I'm glad to give him a plug again. It's at DJ Shrum, S-C-H-R-U-M, the number two, budget underscore breaks STL. So it's it's good. Like I said, check it out. He's on Twitter. Good guy. And anybody can get involved in it. You don't have to join. It's not a subscription or anything like that. Anybody can get involved in it. So right. pretty cool. Now how do you, so, and then how do, you, how do you enter, like Venmo, PayPal? Yeah, you, you, he's got a PayPal or a Venmo, either okay. way. So cool. you can pay him through PayPal, it's through Venmo. And he's actually, he's looking to maybe get onto YouTube and do it live through YouTube instead of just doing it through a Twitter feed. Okay. So. Listen, I know that there's, I, I've read about how how the sports oh, card industry has is, is really blown up since sports kind of went off during yeah. COVID. And I do know quite a few people who uh, are interested in collecting and, and selling cards and stuff like that. So anyone who's listening, if you have any, uh, if you have any questions, definitely hit up Rob. Any questions? just listen hit me up hit me up uh hit me up uh you know either dm me if you got my phone number just give me a you know, shoot me a text or give me a call i'll certainly give you information or give you more information and maybe what i've given you here maybe i could you know just fill you in a little bit more but it's definitely worked it if you enjoy if you enjoy the card industry and i know people now are doing this with sneakers too i mean <laughs> these jordan sneakers and everything are going nuts yeah so i know people collect sneakers and that's a hell of a lot more expensive than it is for these trading cards so these trading cards are a lot of fun like i said and he's got some breaks going on right now that i'm looking at so i couldn't get involved in them right away because we're doing the podcast but i did give him a shout out i said hey is it all right if i give you a plug he's like hey man i'd be honored so he's going to be listening to the podcast so i was happy to do this for him like i said he's a really good guy and if he wasn't i wouldn't have done it for him so it's pretty cool so check it out you could even you know the live feed stay on his on his uh on his twitter uh, account over there so even if you want to just look at one and just you know replay it because you could replay them you know you could fast forward through them you know if you want and you could replay it just to take a look at it you know what the process is it's a lot of fun because he just did one now with the baseball so it's cool all right cool all right so yeah. anyone check that out dj shrum two right yeah dj s-c-h-r-u-m the number two yes all right cool at dj shrum yeah too. And I'm assuming you follow him on Twitter. So if anything, just oh, yeah, look on yeah. the people that Rob follows and you'll find yeah. him. I follow him on Twitter. I, you know, I, yeah, yeah. I follow him on Twitter. So, and it's, it's good. Like I said, it's, it's really good. So yeah, if anything, just, you know, if you follow me on, on Twitter and again, I need more followers. So people stop following me. Come on. Yeah. What the hell is going on here? Come on now. <laughs> Plugging Rob every episode here. His follower count isn't going up. I don't know what the, I, what the hell is going on here. I, a couple, a couple of my friends followed me now, so it's no big deal. I don't have. All right. So. We um oh one thing Andrew we gotta say is I seen a video of our boy Henrik Lundqvist in the crease today. Yes, I saw that too. Awesome. I got, what is this? I got goosebumps. A month after open a month and a half yeah. open heart surgery. Yeah. yeah, I sent a nice uh, I sent him a nice uh a nice reply there. He was in net. He was so you know, just easy shots, but he's in net, man, coming off for aortic uh open heart surgery. It was unbelievable to see, man. I can only hope this guy gets back on the ice. Uh, and, and what, a, and what a story that would be. Speaking of prayers to uh, Tiger Woods, 
yeah, who was yeah. uh, severely injured. Uh, I just they got said word it's not from, it's non life threatening. They said no, non life threatening. I got an alert from ESPN uh, said that he had a compound leg fracture and a shattered yeah. ankle in a car oh. accident. He was undergoing yeah. surgery for about seven or eight hours. Yeah, that'll um, end his uh, golf career right now. For, yeah, for now, so and I mean, the scene looked pretty bad, but you know, obviously yeah. not life threatening. That's all you hope for. So hope for yeah, the best so, for Tiger yeah. Woods, and uh, yes. hopefully he can make a recovery. Golf is secondary. You know, hopefully he can. Uh, you recover and, and live a normal yeah. life. So prayers to Tiger Woods, prayers to Henrik Lundqvist. Glad to see him back on the oh, ice. Terrific. Beautiful. And, uh, say, and that'll do it for episode 48. Yeah, Big baseball preview. Um, spring training is underway. Games are starting right around the corner. So uh, it's certainly an exciting time. And uh, Rangers are back in action tomorrow night. Our man Igor Shesterkin is in net. Thank God. So me and you don't have to pull any more hairs out of our head. Listen, this, this game might have to be one nothing tomorrow because, you know, unless Zabinijad all of a sudden catches fire like he did last year. Yep. Man, well, no Panarin and looks like no Kako. We got some problems. So Well, in Philadelphia gonna... against the Flyers. And then they uh, they return home on Friday for a game against the, the Bruins, Bruins. And there will, be, there will be fans in Madison Square Garden. So maybe yeah, that'll be them up great to bit. see. You never know. Great to see. Well, they never listen. The fans at Madison Square Garden have been have been quiet for the last few years there, anyway. So, yeah, maybe these two thousand fans will make some noise, but for the most part, you know, it's been quiet there. But all right, this is yeah, this is this is the best part of the year for me. Baseball season's on the horizon. Yeah, right. With baseball season comes you love the NCAA tournament. Oh, March Madness, my favorite time of year. Yeah, and more importantly than anything, with baseball and March Madness comes the warmer weather. And listen, here in New York, can't really complain because what we're having right now is a normal winter. We just haven't had a normal winter in about four or five years, but I'm already tired of the snow. So once we get that warmer weather too, and we fully get into the spring and summer mood, uh, then we're off and running. That, and yo, I'm going to have a bone to pick with our boy, JJ boy. Cause I told you, you, you know, my Huey Lewis story. I'm not going to tell it now, but I don't know if I ever told you the Huey Lewis story. Huey Lewis. Yeah. I already forget it. I'll tell you another time. I don't think, I don't think so. All right, we don't have to get into that then. <laughs> All right, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for episode 48. Stay tuned. Follow Rob on Twitter, RobOG6 is his Twitter account. And again, if you want to find his uh, DJ Shrum 2 card breaks, find him on Rob's under his uh, followers page. Follow me on Twitter, Andrew May underscore 21. Follow me on Instagram, A underscore May 21. Post the links to the podcast. Thanks everyone for supporting. No, we haven't been here in two weeks, but uh, thanks everyone for their patience. Hope everyone is doing well. Hope everyone's excited with, uh, you know, everything on the horizon, warmer weather, opening up to fans at sporting events, indoor dining back in back in action so there's a lot of good things to look forward to so hopefully everyone's doing well thanks as always for supporting for rob Jufre, i'm andrew may see you guys next time